welcome to episode 50 of the Caffeine Crew cast of pods. I am your host, Rob. Joining me tonight is Bill. Hello! Ben. I can see! Jada. Hello! <laughs> I was like, I was going to say something clever, but apparently not. <laughs> Actually, that was fitting because that's one of the other partial lines to his return. I can see! Nope, apparently nope. not. I was wrong. I was, I was wrong. wrong. Cat. Hi. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I've got one better. So introduce, introduce Bill. Uh, All right, here, we'll start again. We'll start again. <laughs> I'm your host, Rob. Werewolf. Werewolf. Their castle. Oh, my God. Ben, wow. wow. I don't remember that part. Ben, I even oh. knew that one. You <laughs> should be ashamed. One more time, and I'll point at Kat because she remembers the line. I don't remember the line. Hi, I'm That's your right. host. That's right. We'll do, we'll do a different one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hi, I'm your host, Rob. Werewolf. Wait, werewolf? Wait, you wait, missed all right, sorry. Oh, <laughs> God damn it. Screw this. Hi, I'm Rob. Let's just not. Bill. Ben. <laughs> Jada. Yeah. Hi, Cat. Oh, God, I can't believe I screwed it up that time. Yeah, it's been a long, like, couple shame. weeks. It's been a shame. <laughs> All right. So if you didn't gather from what we were attempting there, uh, so this is our Mel Brooks episode, but it's also going to be part Mel Brooks, part our year in review, or as I like to call it, uh, as the dumpster fire turns. Um, so... If you remember our year in review last year, which was all, um, actually, I don't know if we actually got a chance to do our year in review last year. I think we did, but we did it in January. Uh, um, because we didn't get an opportunity to do our last Jedi spoiler cast. So, um, but anyway, so it's kind of weird. We're going into a September without, or not September, oh my god. (laughs) Wow. It is, we're going into December without talking about a Star Wars movie for the first time in a while. Wow. That's crazy. Um, but anyway, uh, so let's get into this and, uh, let's start off with our opener. And, uh, so would you guys rather work on Spaceball 1 or be a soldier in Prince John's Castle? So obviously we're talking about, uh, Spaceball 1 from Spaceballs or Prince John's Castle from Robin Hood Men in Tights. And I'm going to start with Jada. All right. So I'm going to go with, I would like to be a soldier in Prince John, Prince Prince John's castle. Remember that thing I was telling you about before? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So I would rather be a soldier in Prince John's castle because Prince John's castle doesn't fucking explode. That's a valid Mm -hmm. point. At the end of the movie. (laughs) And in fact, you kind of get a changing of the guard. At the end of the movie. I mean, spoilers, but it's like 20 years old, so. Uh, you get Patrick Stewart at the end. You get Patrick Stewart oh, who comes true. back as the good King Richard, so, and it's good to be the king. Um, <laughs> so I would much rather be a soldier in that castle, because I'm pretty sure you'd just get rehired as a soldier for hire back under King Richard as opposed to Prince John. And honestly, I wouldn't really want to work for the evil Spaceball Empire because they were all assholes. I mean, look at President Scroop. He was... Nobody told him his ass was that big, but he was a giant asshole. How many assholes we got on the ship anyway? Yo! <laughs> uh, and not only that, but the, sh- the, the, the thing explodes at the very end, so... Well, they all I mean, get off. The only people, three people that don't get off the ship are Colonel Sanders, yep. uh, President Screw, and Dark Helmet. And Dark Helmet. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I'm going to go the opposite, and I would rather work on Spaceball 1, because one, you will get off before the ship explodes, and let's not forget, there's also a zoo and a three-ring circus on board. That's true. I'm the bearded lady. Who are you? (laughs) Who do you want, the freaks? Yeah, I would rather work on Spaceball 1. Simply for those reasons. Entertainment. 
I'd rather work on Spaceball 1. I was going to say the Three Ring Circus was my selling point, but someone's already (laughs) taken that. I mean, it's a good selling point. And I could, you know, I could figure my way into one of the major assholes. (laughs) I don't mean it that way. God damn it. (laughs) You do you, sir. We don't judge. It's 2018. We're not going to kink shame you. It's fine. Okay. (laughs) Um... I think I'd rather be on Spaceball 1 because I want to be in space. I mean, it's a really simple explanation, but it's a little more high-tech. I'm down with that. Internet. Yeah. Instant video? Like, as they make the movie? So, that's not that bad. Yeah, but we had foxes. We had foxes that could send messages. That's adorable. They were super cute. I'm I'm gonna go Spaceball One too. I'm sorry. They 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 also had the Crusades, non-freedom of religion, and the plague. So um, true. We have we can we can we can travel at plaid. So (laughs) they got to plaid. Uh, but yeah, so I, I'm going to stick with uh, Spaceball 1. So because we're talking about Mel Brooks, we figured this is a good opportunity to kind of look back at a little bit of his legacy in the front half. Uh, and um, it's kind of funny because a lot of movies, especially in the early aughts, were really obsessed with this idea of doing parody films. And whenever we think of parody, most of us think of two names, Mel Brooks or Weird Al Yankovic. And that's pretty much it. I actually think of one other one. Okay. I think Zucker, because Naked Gun... Well, let's be fair. Zucker was also responsible for a lot of the new parody films, though, too. So This is very, very true. But I go... When you met... But early on, I I would go Zucker as well, because Naked Gun was just... uh, You know... For those of you that don't know, obviously, you mentioned Airplane. Yeah. But then he also made the wonderfully amazing Airplane 2, which is not that wonderful (laughs) and amazing. It's not that wonderful at all. Responsible for the scary movie franchise? No, that was the Wayne's Brothers. Oh, okay. Yes. Huh. Um, so, but like I said, Mel Brooks kind of was one of those big names in comedy that many of us grew up with. It's what a lot of our parents probably introduced us to an idea of a lot of com- adult comedic films that we didn't really find very adult back then. We look at back now, things are dramatically different. Very, very different. Uh, the amount, the, <laughs> the way that you look at Blazing Saddles oh, as a child would, versus yes. the oh. Things are different. So many jokes that you just didn't get when yes. you were like uh-huh. a kid that now you look... I mean, as a kid, you would laugh at some of the silly parts, the slapstick, the things like that. But a lot of the adult humor and sexual humor and stuff like that, you didn't understand that. You well, would just kind of like laugh because the rest of the grown-ups did. Well, well, we'll put a pin in that because we're actually going to come back to that conversation a little bit. But let's start here. So what was the first Mel Brooks movie that people here at this table remember? Jada. Um, hmm. I would say the first one that I really remember watching was actually Young Frankenstein, which is honestly in my like top three Mel Brooks movies favorites. Um, I remember watching that one because I was scared of it at first because it comes off as like, you know, this noir like horror movie and you're like, it's going to be scary. And then all of a sudden you're like, they're tap dancing. And there are horses that are like whinnying every time and lightning and things like that. Like it's, it, it, you think it's going to be scary, and then parts of it are kind of scary, and you're like, Abby Normal? Who's Abby Normal? Oh, Abby Normal, I get it! Like, it comes up. I remember being scared to watch it, but then really, really glad that I did. Okay. One of my first was actually on Frankenstein 2. Um, that was the one my dad introduced us to. Frankenstein. Yeah. Frankenstein. And so it was like, like, I remember, but I don't remember it really strongly. I remember Men in Tights really strongly <laughs> because they played it on Comedy Central nonstop and like over and over and over and over again. But uh, Young Frankenstein, I remember finding it funny, but it was like... <laughs> but um, 
it was, it, you know, it was like that kid view of like, you you remember blips of it. And as I got older and I saw it a lot more, I'm like, it's, I just love that movie. Yeah. Fantastic. Bill. I was about to start talking and they're like, no. <laughs> um, I think my, I, I, the first one I remember seeing was Spaceballs. Uh, mainly because looking down the list of Mel Brooks movies and remembering the ones that I've seen, it's probably, it's still rather offensive with some of the jokes, but it's probably <laughs> the least offensive of a lot of them. Even thinking about, no, no, it's it's still pretty bad. But, but my parents still let me see it. They thought he's hilarious and, and they, they love his movies as well. So, yeah, they, they, they started off, me off right on Spaceballs. Did you get the space the Spaceballs flamethrower? No. For Christmas that year? No, I got oh. no Spaceballs gear. Dude, you were shocking. I know. I wanted Spaceballs the merchandise. Spaceballs the merchandise. <laughs> um, this is kind of a little, it's going back because it. Spaceballs was the first movie I remember. Well, Spaceballs was the first Mel Brooks movie I remember being introduced to Mel Brooks in. The first time I was ever introduced to Mel Brooks was actually the 2,000-year-old man, which was a comedy special that he did with Carl Reiner, uh, which is still to this day makes me laugh. I went through a phase when I was younger of listening to those old like 1920s, 1930s serial radio station radio shows of like The Shadow and Amos and Andy and such. And 2,000-year-old man, even though it was from the 70s, was still mixed into that. My first introduction of Mel Brooks on screen was actually the Muppet movie because he does have a cameo in the Muppet movie. Uh, but movie-wise, Mel Brooks movie, first movie I remember seeing is definitely Spaceballs. Yeah, mine's actually Spaceballs as well because for me it was I was I I kind of became obsessed with Star Wars around maybe like I was maybe about five six years old uh, just to the point where I was going to be able to start understanding it and my parents kind of were like well you really really like Star Wars and you know my parents I I grew up like listening to my parents listening to like Sam Kennison uh, and like you know. Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, <laughs> Chevy Chase, like, you know, like Rodney Dangerfield, all these comedians, because my mom was huge in comedy. Mm-hmm. So she was like, you love Star Wars. I'm going to see how you do with Spaceballs. <laughs> and I thought it was hysterical because that still plays to a kid really does, well. Because yes. mm-hmm. that, that, that adult humor goes right over your head. It's, you know, it's the little things like Jada mentioned beforehand before we started. It's that line of like... You know, the nur- nurse Gretchen, when they're trying to give Princess Vespa, like, her old nose back. And there's the line of, like, I bet she gives great helmet. And you're like, no kid's ever going to catch that. Your helmet is so big. big yeah. <laughs> you know, all those There's going to be a lot of quoting of Mel Brooks in, <laughs> oh, yeah, in this first half Absolutely. of the podcast. Um, but like, probably the second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> even though we, are, we won't even be talking about it, but we'll keep going back to it. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to see that still play for kids. Like, it reminds me of, like, in the dumbest way in the world was, um, you know, I, it reminds me of something Kevin Smith said a long time ago of watching, having his daughter watch Jane Silent Bob Strikes Back when she was pretty young. Like, she was, like, four or five years old because he was viewing the movie in his house for edits. And she would laugh right along with it because, like, it the comedic elements of it play yeah. to a child. Like, yeah. they absolutely do. It's like, you know, Jake or uh, Jay's trying to pull Silent Bob through a hole and she's like, huh, 
just like Winnie the Pooh. And she's like, exactly, just like Winnie <laughs> yeah. the Pooh. When you look at certain moments in Spaceballs, I mean, it, while there are a lot of adult jokes in it, you look at moments where, like, the huge statue of yogurt falling on on uh, Barf's foot and his foot being flat. That plays to a child. The slapstick. Mm-hmm. The yes. slapstick First, elements definitely yeah. do. It was like we were saying with Young Frankenstein, mm-hmm. the slapstick. Yeah, I mean, it's like all of a sudden they're tap dancing with a Frankenstein monster. <laughs> right. I oh, mean, Zeno putting on the Ritz. Like, what? Exactly. Oh. And I mean, and that's it's all these little things work so perfectly because they, they capture a child's imagination, but they keep your parents laughing on a completely different level, and it's great. So... Now, out of those films that we talked about, do you all still thoroughly still enjoy them today? Oh, absolutely. I still enjoy every Mel Brooks movie today. I I don't think there's a single Mel Brooks movie that I dislike. Let's just put it that way. Same here. Okay. Uh, Now, we mentioned your ones that were your first Mel Brooks ones that you remember. What's your favorite? (laughs) My my favorite. It's a tough one. My favorite is History of the World Part 1. So good. It's so quotable. Have you seen a pack of Trojans? Just ran out. (laughs) (laughs) I think think my favorite, like, scene slash line in that that movie is... No, no, no. Where... No, 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 no. Yes, no, no, no. Was Richard Pryor trying to pass... Not Richard Pryor. That, that Richard was, Pryor. Uh, that's not Richard Pryor. Oh, that's, my God. Um, it's mm, Names? Gary... No, it starts with a G. Um, All right. Anyway, Gregory Hines. Gregory Hines. Okay. Thank you. Where he's trying to pass as a eunuch. Yeah. That's, that's just like... <laughs> And, you know, you have the like the Dance of the Seven Veils going on. It's like, that man's a eunuch. That man's a eunuch. That, that man's a eunuch. Dead. That man's, that man's dead. dead. <laughs> and, then, and then the feather just comes up on his. The jig is up. And gone. Uh, Never understood it as a kid. Never understood it at all. Mm-hmm. Now it's all too familiar. Cat, which, which your absolute favorite? That's a really good question. Um, it actually might be Men in Tights. Joel and I used to prance around and sing the songs from it all the time. And it was one of those. I always loved Robin Hood. So the fact that you combine Robin Hood with music, perfect for me. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'd probably have to say Men in Tights as well. Because when that movie came out, it was, I want to say I was probably like 12 or 13. And my one friend, that was like the one Mel Brooks movie her parents actually let her watch. Oh. And so, like, because her parents were a little bit more strict about, like, movies and that things was, like that, that. That actually is fairly tame. It is. Yeah. It's fairly tame. They would play it at, like, 8 o'clock at night on Comedy Central, like, on regular basic cable. <laughs> and it was just, it was hysterical because you had some of, like, the, you had some of the, like, more adult stuff, but you also had a lot of the slapstick stuff. And it was also... Carrie Ells one who I was, was gonna super say, hot. So let's a, just look, we're just gonna put a pin in that too. Apologies yeah. to Carrie Ellis if he ever happens to hear this because Jada just said you're not hot anymore. <laughs> no, 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 that's not what I meant at all. But Carrie Ellis, you're like, still hot and gorgeous. It's his prime. It was really you peak know? Carrie Ellis because yeah. he was because he's Diana still gorgeous. Ella. But uh-huh. yeah, those movies were. We're definitely that up there. That was absolutely a factor. Yes. Uh, but I mean, you had some really funny lines. Like, it was just like, it's so quotable. I still find myself, you know, like, anytime I'm looking for tights, I'm like, we're men, we're men in tights. Like, I just I find myself singing the songs. I find myself quoting things from from that one. Um, Spaceballs and Young Frankenstein are probably, like, my top three. Uh, I'm going to go a little differently. Young Frankenstein and... Robin Hood Men in Tights would be in my top three, but my number one, 2000 producers. 
Uh, I love the producers. I love the mm-hmm. songs from that movie. I think Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick are fantastic. They as, did a great job. As those two characters, as, as Leo and Max. And that's one of those movies I'll still go back to all the time and watch. Ula dance. Yes. <laughs> Ula dance again. <laughs> I, I, I just... Yeah. I actually think I like that version of it better than the original. I do too. Yeah. I do yeah, like the that. The original was hysterical. Oh, the one was your was still and, 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 and Gene like, Wilder. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say you have like super young Gene Wilder like freaking out over his where his blue blankie is. Yeah. Like Aww. that was hysterical. But there's funny. there's just something to Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane together that Nathan just Lane is so that close. adds so much that you you throw in you know Will Ferrell and. You know, the rest of that cast and that movie just is just... Now, oh, yeah, it works fantastically. Yeah, I, I still love it. Uh, as and fun for, songs. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think and John Berriman is in that movie. Oh, yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, I think for me, I'm actually tied in a, in a weird mix. I have a hard time choosing. So I would actually say probably Blazing Saddles is probably oh, my, one so of my good. absolute favorites. But I'm actually going to say High Anxiety. High Anxiety is a fantastic movie. Um, which it's not as well known for most people because it's, it's so the one that never got a lot of play. But it's a, it's a spoof of natural, like Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. And I grew up watching Alfred Hitchcock with my dad. And like, you know, we had like we didn't own a thousand one VHS tapes, but like we did. We had more than three. We had more than three. <laughs> If it was, but I mean, we had like we watched Rear, Rear, like Rear Window, we and watched birds, Psycho and, yeah. and Birds and all these things. Like, so I was really used to them. So I knew most of Hitchcock's library by the time I was ten. Yeah. So yeah. like when like we found like I found out that there was a whole spoof. To, to that purely, I'm like, this is fantastic, and I absolutely it's love it. Really and a lot well, of what Mel Brooks does is that he really relates things. Like, it's not necessarily a parody; it's more of a tribute. So yeah. when you see something like that, it's his parody of Hitchcock, and that's what you like. That's what you grew up watching. Whoa. Like that, of course, is going to sing your soul. Like I remember watching all of the Robin Hood movies. There was like, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the Earl Flynn Robin yes, Hood. Yes, like, right. I remember those. So like those for me, like when I saw when I saw Men in Tights, it was of course like pretty soon after the um, Kevin Costner one. one. And, you know, the whole, like, well, unlike some other Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent. Oh, every like, time they make a Robin Hood movie, they burn time. our village down. Let me hear is. And they pop off their ears and throw them. But it's... it's the same well, thing with Spaceballs and Star Wars. Right. You know? But, like, one of the things that was so great, though, too, is because of how much he cared about the cinema that he was about to spoof, was the reason why Young Frankenstein is so special. It's something I even brought up on this podcast before, is the the... You know, a whole set for Young Frankenstein is the original Frankenstein set. That's amazing. It was he, still oh, only. I didn't know that. He's spoofing the. Idea. He's spoofing the the original source material while. But the lab very, set is the original lab set from the original oh, Frankenstein. That's crazy. I had no that's idea because it was still around. It was still on the back lot, so they were able to get access to it, and they were able to get the guy that owned it to lend it to them for the film. Yeah. But it was wow. also unheard of at the time, though, too, for anybody to allow a studio in the age of Technicolor to say, "Yeah." Go ahead and shoot that movie in black and white. Right. And he had to fight. Like, there's an amazing uh, episode of uh, Nerdist Podcast where uh, he gives a long, long interview uh, about what it was like to go through and make the films that he did. And it was a really awesome history about what he had to fight for to be able to even do that. And that became such a big classic. So... Yeah. Yeah, he pays loving tribute to the material that he's spoofing. And that's one of the best reasons as to why his movies are as good as they are. And then why they stand the test of time, yes. too. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the next part really of this, is, is the idea of, do we all actually mm-hmm. thoroughly agree that his films hold up? Oh, Absolutely. yeah. I think so. they, they hold up comedically, 
but in a PC world that we live in now, they could never be remade. Well, Cer- some of them could hold, never be hold remade. Hold on that to, an ex- to a little bit, because okay. there's some... Well... Because later on, we'll kind of get, get okay. into that a little bit. Oh, okay. But I'm thinking about maybe like a little bit like there's a lot of product placement in a lot of his later films and things like mm-hmm. that. So I wasn't sure on your guys' opinions on that. Kat, you're, what you were about to say. Mine was branching off of what Ben was saying. Okay, so well, we can, we can, we can jump to that now if you want. We, okay. we but can I mean, easily it do that. Uh, there are definitely still things about his movies that hold up, like I said, comedically. But there are other moments in the movies, too, before we get onto that topic that the, the thing that proves the test of time in particular with some of these movies is that there are always things that bring my memory back to those movies. I was just in New York last earlier this week and as I was walking down Broadway there is a theater that was the what they used in the producers. They still have that old marquee in the front and the more I just remember walking down Broadway seeing that old marquee <laughs> and the first thing that came to my head was the producers. Yeah. And so it still holds up to this day in in memory and comedically. Yeah. Mine's bouncing off with the, uh, in the PC world of today, could it be made? And I actually think it still could, because one of the main tenets is he, everything he does, he does with the knowledge behind it. He's always like, like the jokes that he makes, even in Blazing Saddles and things like that, he's pointing it out. But and I mean, like, if you look at, like, okay, Always Sunny has been made today. We've actually been, like, rewatching that mm-hmm. really heavily. And that... The reason it gets away with it is because they are knowingly doing it versus unwittingly putting out something that has, like, racist things or, like, you know, demeaning, derogatory things. He's calling it out for that. But in and, but in a certain instance, too, Adam Sandler has tried it with Netflix with The Ridiculous Six, which was basically he has said was his way of seeing if Blazing Saddles could be remade, and it failed miserably. Yeah, but I heard it was also terrible. It, it, well, that was part <laughs> I of it. I heard it was bad. That was if part of it. If it's not well but, done, it's but, not going to flow. But there are certain... It doesn't matter who makes it. There yeah. are certain aspects that... I'm not saying that the movie wouldn't still be funny, there are just too many groups in this world now that would get it shut down. They they don't care whether or not he'd be calling attention to it purposely or not. You look at scenes like but Blazing Saddles. The sixth movie was still made. But you and it failed because people technically tried to shut it down. Yeah, but I also again. But the you movie but also you look sucked. at but you look at movies like Blazing Saddles when it comes to like punching a horse and things like that. Mm-hmm. Peta would be on that so fast. Peta's on it. Would every, never, who cares? It would never. It would because well, Mel Brooks is bringing home the bacon with these movies. Um, nobody else got but, it. Um, <laughs> but I just. I, I feel some of the movies I think absolutely could be remade, but there are some movies. I don't think I don't think you could do Blazing, Blazing Saddles, Saddles again. or no. History of the World. I don't think could be not remade. at all. Um, you can never remake those movies. You yeah. try making a movie in 2018 mocking the Inquisition. That could be done easily. Yeah, mocking the Inquisition. Yes, yeah, that's not a problem. Um, it's not I mean, an issue at all. There are certain groups you can mock the Catholic Church all you want. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. But I mean, I, I generally think problem. because of race stuff, I think out of all of his movies, I think you would have the hardest fight Blazing doing, Saddles. doing Blazing Saddles. Yep. Because you'd get so much pushback. I think it would be... I, even, I really think at the end of the day, it depends on how it's done. It I depends mean, on how it's done and who is doing it. I, I agree because with he that made to an his, extent. Well, he, you know, he made his like stance of, hey... You know, he made his Jewish background very clear, mm-hmm. and that's coming from a 
persecuted place too. So I mean, like he's not coming in like, hey. I'm Times were also stamp. very different when he they did that. They were part. absolutely, but I feel like you know the things that he does in the way it's all about the way he does them mm-hmm. because it's not about like him doing them just for shock value. He does it cleverly and he does it with class. Well, I think the reason though, too, the reason why I would say Blazing Saddles is a harder fight is. Think about the core idea of that. It was a movie filmed in the 1970s about going back to the Old West of having a black sheriff. Because even He's the, black? Yeah. <laughs> even yeah, sure. in the 70s, people would, would have been up about that. In 2018, not as much. You know, like you know, like you said, you're still always going to get pushback. But like culturally, we're only, you know, two decades out of like a hard divide in like segregation. And... You look at 2018 and people say, you're making a movie about it that's making light of something like this that people would have maybe have a harder time with allowing or feeling comfortable about because they feel like it's mocking it. Oh, and I that's, disagree with okay. you. <laughs> I, I want to rephrase what I said a little bit too and kind of change the, the way to look at this. You look at, let's, let's take a, a recent example with Roseanne Barr and a racist comment that she made on Twitter. Sure. Got her fired by Disney and the show was canceled because of this. If you could find... If, I don't think it's necessarily that Mel Brooks wouldn't make remake a movie like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's more... <clears throat> you're going to have a hard... He would have a much harder time getting a studio to back a movie like that. <clears throat> and if he was able to get a studio to back a movie like that, brave enough to do that, just because the movie is made mm-hmm. and it was remade, I don't think it would be as successful as it was when Blazing Saddles first came out. I understand what you're saying, and I can see like the hesitation for people to back certain things, but I also think someone making a racist comment versus someone pointing out racism is very different. Right, because when you're doing it in because a farcical way... Because Roseanne was being racist. Like, well, no, and, and, and that was a straight, and, uh, you know. But, again, but he I'm, points out the issues and lets people see them for what they are. He makes the comedy. He uses it and he utilizes comedy in its best way. Oh, yeah. And I understand to, that. But again, and I agree with that, too. And I, I understand that and I agree with that. But again, it's not necessarily Mel Brooks willing to take the risk. It's the studio willing to take the risk on the product. That's fair. That's where you would that's, have the difficult And that's part. what I was trying to get across, too. Yeah. I don't ever it's find not that Mel. he was... Mel's got all the bravery in the world to do whatever yeah. he wants. It's the studio backing him on it is where you would have the harder time. And why I feel like a remake of Blazing Saddles would never be made. So what I was going to touch on is actually sort of agreeing with Kat on this. Is that theater and movies are presented to us as a mirror of our society. Mm-hmm. And in the 70s, as even as you were saying, you're dealing with a lot more racism in everyday life. So what better way to make people realize like how ridiculous it is that we're pointing out, you know, oh my God, it's so incredibly weird that there's a black sheriff and it's unthinkable that that could even happen and all these like crazy things that are happening and they're talking about, you know, sexually assaulting horses and this and that and the other thing. Like, that like they're pointing it out in such a ridiculous way oh, yeah. that it mirrors back on people and we start thinking of the ridiculousness of why we feel that way but you look mm-hmm. at but you look at prime certain examples of recently too in a drama and on stage it's a lot easier to get away with talking about race and racism because you are bringing attention to it oh sure in a comedic way people get offend people get offended much more easily when you do it comedically. You look at comedic comedians who during their stand-up have made jokes about race that are very obviously jokes, 
But yet, you look at something like, you know, Kevin Hart, who recently made a homophobic joke years ago that was very obviously a joke, and he is now no longer the host of the Oscars. So, comedically, people get offended by that kind of shit way more easily than they would if it was a a drama. I think they probably were still offended back then, too. Honestly, I think, like, realistically, like... People are allowed to be offended by it now. People, yeah. But it's one of those things, too, where... It's, it's about the way it's done because a lot of the people that are getting flack for saying homophobic things or saying racist things, the thing is, in Mel Brooks movies, he's not him as, like, what he's pushing out there is not a message of racism. And it's it not never a message was. Of. Yeah. He, is, he has characters who are saying things that are, but that's very different, and it's that's why it's... Again, it mirrors society. But, because that's the same thing these like, comedians do, too. But not all comedians do it well. Like, you know, when you have comedians, like, that are making rape jokes and things like that, and it's not done in, you know, a lot of those things, that you're not holding up a mirror to anything. You're just making jokes about something you know nothing about. Yeah. It's well, also not put in context of a script. Yeah. So it's also, too. like, when it's a comedian standing on stage saying something or somebody then posting something on, on Twitter, them. that is on them and their person. Absolutely. When it's and a character... You don't hold the author responsible for what the characters say. And if it's, if the character is built a certain way, it's to do something. No, I I, I get that. What I was I think I, I understand what you guys are saying. I also I don't think Ben and I also think that anything that Mel Brooks was ever saying was racist. Like he no, as you not at all is very much <clears throat> holding a light to it. What I where I agree with Ben on this was the idea that people are easily offended by comedy very easily. But the problem is, and while they were very much so then, I'm sure, too, and plenty of other people, all of those people now have a voice. That's it. That's the biggest point. Back then, the most you would get, if anybody was offended by anything Mel Brooks did, you would maybe see an editorial in a newspaper, which only certain people would see. When the world of social media and the voice that everybody has now online with YouTube and everything else, everything spreads a lot faster. So people get offended much easier and much much more quickly. So, which is why I don't think something like this would survive in this time. I mean, I think I think a lot of his projects would. I think that one, if he wanted to, he could do it. I think that would be a, a hard fight for a studio yeah. to, well, space- to give him f- financial backing to do it. Yeah. But why would you do a remake of Blazing Saddles? Because like Jada was saying, it's holding up a mirror to those issues at that time. If someone were to make a movie holding up in, com- in a comedic way to the issues of our current time... Well, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't, they might be saying something like a trans sheriff. Exactly. Right. You know? I mean, like you would, you would, you would. That would get trans. That would get that, that would that would work fantastic. So if you're doing a remake of something like Blazing Saddles, why would you do that? The the issues were pertinent to the time frame. No, that's true. But uh, the reason the, the reason I bring it up though too is the fact that because we're talking about Hollywood and Hollywood just reuses old ideas without that's changing fair. much. That's because true. I guarantee you, there's at least. 20 Hollywood executives that are somewhere right now having a conversation saying, let's remake Blazing Saddles. <laughs> exactly shot and for shot the way it was. And, there, <laughs> and there's also somebody else in that room going, no, 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 no we're not going to touch it. <laughs> yeah, let's make Scarlett Johansson the sheriff. <laughs> but I absolutely get what you guys are saying. Completely. Like I said, you guys, you guys had it. Like, and that's the reason why I wanted to have this discussion because... A lot of us are going to feel one way or the other about this, and like I said, that's 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 the argument, and I was looking for out of 
something like this about was because I, the question of a lot of those comedic values and statements that people had about pushing those lines because like Lenny Bruce was like one of Mel Brooks's idols. Mm -hmm. Like he was the man that pushed the boundaries about what you were allowed to say and the messages you were, you were allowed to convey and things you wanted to stand up for. And he was a person that everybody knows very clearly did that. And the people that follow Lenny Bruce, the best George Carlin and Mel Brooks. So it was, it's great to see people be like, no, you can absolutely do that because of what you're trying to do. So, um, how about any of the other movies outside of Blazing Saddles? Do you think, <laughs> uh, do you think there's any other ones that maybe potentially don't hold up the way that they, they, that they should be able to? Oh, I, I can tell you one right now that would not hold up the same way. Well, I don't know. Maybe it would. Silent Movie was just I never saw that genius in the way that it was made. Because there is literally one line spoken in the entire movie. And yeah. the brilliance of it is oh who speaks that line. Marcel Marceau. It's Marcel yes. Marceau. Oh, that's awesome. Who is a silent actor. <laughs> and he uh, th he's the only person that speaks a line. So Isn't he a mime? He yep. is. Yeah. He has the only spoken line he's in the entire movie. He's the only spoken line in the entire movie. Makes sense. And it's a swear word. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which is brilliant. Um, but I, I guess you could make that movie again. I think it's lost on a lot of people because people yeah. aren't used to silent films. No. No, not at all. You Because you have to pay attention and people have a lot shorter attention spans now. Because I look at my phone. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would say um, High Anxiety absolutely holds up because I didn't see that one until way later. And that was fantastic. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. I think the only one I think right now I would say that that does not hold up well at all was, unfortunately, was Dracula Dead and Loving It. But see, um, I still like Dracula Dead I never Maria. saw that one. Um, I think it's one of the weakest films that he's ever done. It is, but I still okay. enjoy it. Um, and I think it his the le level of comedic chops in that film, even with the the actors that are in it, uh, is far, far below. And it just gets swept under the rug as it just feels like a very generic, almost direct-to-video comedy. Um, I, I think it's one of those ones, too, especially now because of the time we're in. Like, if you were to, if that, like, you, you look at it now and it's it's making fun of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm-hmm. Which, even when you look at Nail, as great of a movie as that is, you still look at it even from today's standards and it's everybody's like, oh, this is like the be-all, end-all Dracula film. And even when people look at it now, I'm like, you also have, you know, was it Ke Keanu Reeves. <laughs> he probably shouldn't but have I mean, been there, While it's not his greatest movie, I will agree with that. There are still moments in that movie that are very Mel Brooks and, very, and still make me laugh. The scene with... Leslie Nielsen as Dracula, which already is a stroke of genius, comedic <laughs> genius, when he's at the top of the stairs saying, I'm Count, falls down the stairs, stands up and says, Dracula. And then the moment later when he's walking away, the very next thing you see is Count Dracula's shadow get up holding his back because he's hurt from the fall. <laughs> and it's brilliant. And there, there's still, oh, there's still no, moments it, of comedic brilliance it's, in that movie. It's not without its, its yes. merits, but, but I would say it's... It's it's not his best. It's that's it's one of the last Mel Brooks movies aside from the reboot of Producers. Producers, yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Bill, how about you? Is, do you think there's anything of his that doesn't hold up anymore? Everything that I've seen uh, from Mel Brooks would. Um, I haven't seen some things like... Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the list now. Life Stinks. Life Stinks with him and Leslie Ann Warren, who was Miss Scarlet from Clue. Where him and Leslie Ann Warren are hobos. Which is kind of fantastic. It's kind of got a little bit of a Trading Places vibe. Nice. 
I, honestly, I've seen all the, I, I think, the best Mel Brooks movies. Like, there's only a couple on the list that I haven't seen that uh, I can't speak to. So everything I've seen, Spaceballs, History of the World Part 1, Robin Hood, Men and Tights, uh, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, The Producers, all fantastic. And They're so good. Yeah, I could watch them over and over and over again. And I'd even show them to my kids. I honestly, I, the one that I think that they not necessarily want to reboot, but I'd almost really want to see a sequel just because given the amount of Star Wars stuff that's coming well, out. I would hold would on the like, sequel talk because we will. Oh, that's oh, the last, oh, piece, okay. that's the last piece we're going to talk about. about. I didn't read the notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put a pin in that. <laughs> well, actually, here's a good question then. So why do you think other studios have failed in the realm of parody where Mel Brooks succeeded? Because they've tried to take it too literally. Like, all these movies that we've seen in the past, you know, 10, 15 years, like date movie or superhero movie or all this crap, they have taken the parody way too literal of, oh, let's take this character. Let's take a new actor and make him up the same way exactly the character looked and have him say a funny line that's, like, twisted just a little bit. Oh, no, it's not really funny. It's not intelligent humor. Mm-hmm. It's it's just dry and just, like, here, we wrote this stuff on a page uh, and you're done. Well, I think like it was um, like Ben and Jada were saying about honest, honoring the source material too. Like he knows the stuff he's doing. He's really like the fact that Rob, you were saying like he used the set of Frankenstein for Young Frankenstein. Like he cares. Yes. <laughs> like he cares about what he's doing. It's not careless, and it's like because he shows that attention to detail and care in it, he can really do ace and execute a very well done parody. Well, I think one of the other elements about it too is that first off, you have Mel Brooks who has already proven he has comedic chops even before he started making movies with things like like the 2,000-year-old man and things like that. You have him being the head writer. These other spoof movies you have, and you have him being the head writer but paying homage to one particular source material where like Robin Hood Men in Tights, you had him paying homage to the Earl Flynn Robin Hood um, you know, Dracula Dead and Loving, as you mentioned, Bram Stoker's Dracula. But then, on the other hand, you have these other studios that are just a bunch of Hollywood writers thinking that they're funny, writing a bunch of bad jokes, and not paying homage to any source material. They are literally just trying to stuff as many spoof jokes into them as they can, whether or not they're even related to what that movie is about. You look at you know movie. You look at a movie like superhero movie that you mentioned, mm-hmm. which unfortunately I have seen. <laughs> that does not just pay. Does does not just spoof and spoof horribly superhero movies, but throws in Pirates of the Caribbean and all these other movies that only just because they were popular. There's only That's one of those really films that was good. Not another teen movie. Not another teen movie was good. I will also give it to the first two scary movies. The first two scary I, movies I, I, I would enjoyed agree on that. because they were spoofing horror films. But it's when they got to three and four was when they were reaching, just trying to throw jokes in. Well, also, I mean, to kind of piggyback on what you were saying is that you have all these people who are Hollywood writers and they're trying to be Mel Brooks. Yes, but yeah. they're not Mel Brooks, and they don't <laughs> they don't pay tribute to it, and they don't. It, it's it's convoluted, and instead of like you get that like pure distilled genius mm-hmm. of like, okay, if I'm going to compare anything to booze, I'm going to say that Mel Brooks is like the Kettle One or like, you know, the, like, 
58-year-old aged scotch that's just like amazing. 2,000-year-old scotch. He's a 2,000-year-old <laughs> scotch. Yes, exactly. And these, the writers from this are like, Cutty right. Stark. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. So you have people who are trying to be Mel Brooks versus actually Mel Brooks. And it's like, you just can't compare that kind of genius. You just can't. Well, and he didn't overplay it either. I mean, you know, you've mm-hmm. got young Frankenstein. You've got Spaceballs and Robin Hood Men in Tights. But things like The Producers, Blazing Saddles, and even Silent Movie were, you know, I mean, well, Silent Movie, a little less so. But, like, Blazing Saddles and The Producers, they were original ideas. Like, it wasn't really, yeah. like, just here's a parody of, you know, like, XYZ. Not like, to mention the fact of the timeliness of it. Mm-hmm. Because, also, like, you think about, like... There was kind of a resurgence of, like, horror movies and interest in, like, the old, like, old 1930s and 40s horror movies right as he was making Young Frankenstein. Like, that right. definitely influenced The 80s, 80s, right. 80s love of horror, like, with slashers. It right. was kind of like, well, let's go back to the original horror. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then you look at, okay, all of the hype of Star Wars. What I think, Bla- not Blazing Saddles, I'm sorry, Spaceballs came out in, what, like, 1986, 1987? Yep. Right around there, yep. So right as, like, right after the peak of the high of, like, everything from Star Wars, what, 85 yeah. was uh, when Jedi came out? Mm-hmm. So that uh, was... 83, yeah. 83. Okay, so you have that, like, peak of all that Star Wars hype, and then, what, two years later, you get this awesome spoof about it. Same thing with the Robin Hood thing. So you have, you know, you have the uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves that came out in, like, 1990, 91, and then not only does he take source material from that, but he harkens back to all of the old, like, spoofing Robin Hood stuff from Errol Flynn, and then also, like, you know, the Daffy... Like, it almost, like, pulls from, like, the Looney Tune Daffy Duck versions, too, <laughs> yeah. of, like, let's swing from the tree into the other tree and again and again. Like, he pulls from these things and makes it funny, makes it timely, but then throws in, like, little snippets of, like, popular things that are going on and even, like, hints at, like, new technology. And he's talking about, like, oh, we'll fox them and send the message through a little tube attached to a fox's back, you know? Like, mm-hmm. just goofy shit like that. But it's timely. And it works because it's so... It comes out like, you know, there's that movie that, you know, there's the Robin Hood movie and it's so amazing and everyone's like, oh my god, Kevin Costner's amazing, da 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 And then they're like, actually, he's not because, you know, I can speak with an English accent. You know, they, they poke fun at all those things and it's just, it's timely. And it's in everything. He has perfect comedic Well, it's kind of funny because I never really thought about the timing, but like, especially Blazing Saddles. That was, that was 1974. That was in the heyday of black exploitation films. Yes, and, and not that's only crazy that, to but think you about. Still had a ton of westerns coming out. Western, yeah, uh-huh. westerns were so still it's combining so those popular. two thoughts together and just kind and of pointing just out so how horrendous that it. is. It mm-hmm. was really. Oh yeah, like I said, it was a. It's genius. To, to this day, it is a brilliant comedy, and Absolutely. I still one of the greatest written comedies and of I, all time. And I almost wonder, had it would have been, is there a chance it could have been a little bit better? Had Mel Brooks actually gotten who he wanted as the sheriff? Didn't I forget. He, had, uh, Richard he wanted Pryor. Richard Pryor. Yes. Yeah. But oh. didn't the studio like? Didn't they end up going with somebody who like? Because I remember seeing this on an interview well, with they, Mel Brooks, and they talked about it because he said he really wanted Richard Pryor. He wanted Richard but then Pryor they said because that Richard he, Pryor wasn't dark enough. He wanted no, no. They wanted Richard Pryor, but they felt like he was going to be too dark for the role. So that's when they when they cast I forget the actor that actually does play Cleavon Little. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when they actually did cast Cleavon Little, that was when Mel Brooks said, "All right, you think he would be too much? We'll see about that." And that's when he pushed that. Yeah, he pushed because, that. Because well, I mean, like Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder already had a big yeah. acting career together, and that's why and he like wanted Silver Streak and stuff like that. That would have happened later on, and that's why he yeah. wanted Gene Wilder, right? Or he wanted Richard Pryor. Yeah. He got Gene Wilder. <laughs> Gene Wilder's amazing. He always got Gene Wilder. <laughs> All right. Um, so, 
if Mel Brooks made one more movie, what would you guys like to see him spoof or parody? Harry Potter. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh magic. Ooh. Yes. Ooh, 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 ooh. I've got it. I've got that it. Beats I've, got mine. It. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Game of Thrones. Ooh. Actually, Come you could combine the two of them. Lord of the Rings. Actually, that's what you could Basically, kind of like. Yeah, but see, now if you put in Lord of the Rings with Game of Thrones and Harry Potter. Throne of the Rings. Now you're getting more into that. No, I'm not talking Harry Potter. I'm just talking these two over here. But even still, like. Lord of the Rings. When you start. 2020. Let's go, Mel Brooks. Let's do this. When you start combining these source materials, that's when you're going kind of away from Mel Brooks. No, we're talking like. It's not those. Wayne's brothers. It's not that. It's, It's the idea of. Game of Thrones. Like an original and, movie, but well, kind of... Right. Well, yeah. Epic fantasy. It's, epic that's, fantasy. it's okay. high fantasy. Yes. It's the idea of, uh, of doing a spoof of high fantasy. That beats yes. mine, because Absolutely. I was actually going to say with movies like, uh, you know, Jack Reacher and Mission Impossible, uh, I, I would like to like see... Like the Born Mel- Identity. I would like thing. to see Mel Brooks take on an action film. Uh, for me, I, I would love to see him t- have a take on dystopian. Yeah, Whoa. like young yeah, adult dystopian. Like yeah. what That's he could really do fun. with an idea like that, where like that apocalyptic, like apocalyptic, like mm-hmm. kind of feeling. Because like if you think about how much he has to pull back from in the history of things, like even Mad Max, and like even looking at things like you know The Walking Dead, Dead and mm-hmm. all those pieces, and how prevalent they are in a lot of. So hold on, hold on. Post-apocalyptic or dystopian? Because when you said dystopian, I immediately thought of like Blade Runner. The Blade Runner is that's more awesome. science fiction. That's more science. That's that's it's kind of a dystopian future. It is. See, I hear dystopian and I think post-apocalyptic. Okay, I, I, okay. I think it goes okay. kind of along the same lines yeah. too. But I mean, like you look at things like Hunger Games is is dystopian, yeah. but like there's an entire section like there's that's the super rich. Right. But again, it's a dystopian. You know, society. Well, dystopian in the universe. is technically regarding. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not. The, it's not the same as post-apocalyptic. Yeah, I've had to nitpick the genre. <laughs> Sorry, dystopian is after the apocalypse. <laughs> Yay, nitpickers! <laughs> like, there's only one bridge of that that dystopia I think. Dystopia actually refers to the government needing to be like the that perfect government right. type of thing, right? Because it's the opposite of utopia. Right. Yep. Yes. It's oddly enough, there is a post-apocalyptic dystopian film, Land of the Dead. Yeah, it's the only one I can think of that actually combines the two almost perfectly. It matches them. Yeah, that's yeah. really good. Uh, but yeah, no, I would I would love to see him kind of have a take on this uh, dystopian world. Unfortunately, I, I don't think we're going to get anything else out of Mel Well, Brooks. Mel Brooks is 92 years old yeah. right now. Yeah. Unfortunately. So. Now, Max could carry on his legacy. Yeah, Max Brooks. Max Brooks who wrote uh, World War Z. Yes. Uh, which is a song. Uh, and so. uh, How to Survive the Zombie Apocalypse, Oops. which is a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, so I, th- I think Max could definitely carry on Mel's legacy. And I wouldn't be surprised that we see, uh, it actually rolls into one of the next pieces that we'll probably talk about in just a moment too, um, but is there any other pieces they would love to see or would have loved to have seen him tackle? I think we touched on everything. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, like I said, um, you know, we brought up Young Frankenstein and producers, which, if you're a listener out there and did not realize that they were actually on Broadway, mm-hmm. um, you know, Young Frankenstein for a much lesser amount of time than producers was. But is there any of his films that you would have loved to have seen adapted still? That happened. <laughs> uh, I know it's a stretch, but I've already mentioned it. I think if it could be pulled off, it would be absolutely brilliant. But unfortunately, I don't think people have the attention span. <laughs> I would love to see Silent Movie adapted oh somehow, <laughs> if not as a Broadway musical, Opera. as a stage show. That could be a cool stage show. Yeah. 
where there's literally no dialogue in the entire show. It's just... I, I, and even like, even like, if you did want to do a Broadway musical version of it, you could have an orchestra playing music with people on stage mouthing words that, and then just like put the words on the on the screen in the background like a silent movie. I, I mean, think the Blue Man brilliant. Group did something sort of yeah. like that, so that kind of works. I think silent movie could be brilliant <laughs> if done right. Um, honestly, one that I think would be really well translated into a Broadway kind of stage show would be History of the World. Oh my God, absolutely! Because oh, it already yeah. spoofs a lot of Broadway that's out there. Okay, you talk about the funny, like a funny thing that happened on the way to the Forum, which that very much correlates yeah. to the Roman aspect on it. And then you have like the French Revolution. Come on, it's Les Mis. It uh-huh. is Les Miserables. Like it uh-huh. is. Sorry, sorry, didn't mean to tap on. That. Um, so, but. I think that one would be incredibly hysterically put on stage. Yes. The Inquisition. What a show. I would say um, Robin Hood Men in Tights. I would still love to see it because I would, I would, it probably would be similar to Spamalot. Yes. You know what I mean? It'd be in the same vein where it would be. But I mean, I love Spamalot, so why not Robin Hood Men in Tights? And it's funny that you bring that up too because Spamalot is doing is going through the same treatment that the producers went through. Started is, off as a film. Yeah. Went to a stage show and is now becoming a movie of the musical. Nice. Yep. <laughs> Spamalot is going to be a so theater-released movie. Yep. Yay! That's brilliant. I think they're so going to be announcing the cast in a couple months. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Oh, that's fantastic. Could we get a Blazing Saddles musical? <laughs> that would, can we try would, to do this? I mean, the ending of it was basically a musical. Yeah, it was. Right? <laughs> Dude, Dom DeLuise in that scene still to this day cracks me up. Oh. I think I think Robin Hood Men in Tights would be a lot of fun to watch. Robin Hood yeah. Men in Tights to see to see the where to see the Men in Tights number brought into this whole actual Broadway number I'm of music and everything. I'm gonna go into a deep cut. I'm gonna say the Twelve Chairs. Oh my god, as a musical, that is a deep cut because the Twelve Chairs is uh, Mel Brooks made a version of the Twelve Angry Men. Yeah, as a comedy, <laughs> and the idea of turning the show into the jury's deliberation would be. Fantastic! It I, would think also, it, I could be. I think it could be, be totally doable. It would also be a relatively cheaply produced show. It could too, because there are not a lot yeah. of sets. But it's also it's so un, it's not as well. It's one of his most unwell known yeah. sh- like movies that it's he's also ever very done. early too. And it's one of his yeah. earliest. But it's it's in his heyday working with Carl Reiner and all that stuff. And I think the humor in that if if you're one of those people out there who's never seen it, I highly recommend checking it out. It, it is such a different Mel Brooks movie. But it's one of those ones that I think that could translate really phenomenally into a fun show. Everybody, I've never seen that one, so now I'm going to have to look it up. Everybody at this table has access to my Plex account in which all of these movies are on. <laughs> I have a feeling my Plex account is going to be getting some extra use. going to get blown <laughs> up. <laughs> all right. So let's get into our last topic before we go to break, before we come back to uh, As the Dumpster Fire Turns. Uh, so I want everybody to get a chance to pitch a Mel Brooks sequel or reboot. Um, you know, would you have your original cast come back if it's a sequel, or even if it was a reboot? Um, you know, and how would you continue the story or retell the story? And I don't know who had their hands up first. You did. Kat? Um, so I would do a sequel to History of the World, but it would be History of the World Part 3. It just jumped right over two? <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. It's essential. Because the whole... <laughs> so I don't actually... I feel like... I guess you just pick up from where they left off and cover more history of the world. You didn't see part two? You missed it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the best part is I could see that joke. Uh-huh. Like the first thing in the movie. Like... 
Mel Brooks saying, you haven't seen part two? Well, you missed it. Whoops. You didn't miss much. <laughs> um, if I had to pick one that I would love to see, a sequel, not necessarily a reboot, because sometimes you just don't want to mess with an original because it's so freaking good, mm-hmm. would actually be I want to see a sequel to Spaceballs. Especially considering yeah. like the whole resurgence of the Star Wars trilogies and the new all the new movies coming out. I would probably want to see like maybe a General Vespa. <laughs> um, you know, like uh, even the same actress. Like I'm sure she's still out there making movies. Like what was uh, Daphne Zuniga? I yeah. think is her name. Um, you know, but they could maybe even play into like maybe her match luggage makes a reappearance. Um, maybe she has her old nose. Maybe she doesn't. Um, but I would really love to see some of the like you know some of the older characters come back. Maybe a continuity. Of course, you'd have to have some of the new characters like. There could be, you know, a, a spoof character of Ray, of Finn, of Poe, all of the new cast. But I mean, like, what better time for awesome. there to be a and honestly, resurgence? They already have a name of war too. Spaceballs too. The search for more, <laughs> more money. money. Exactly. <laughs> they already have a plan for the merchandising. I mean, who doesn't need a spaceballs flamethrower? I certainly do. For and honestly, you children. know what you do too? Spaceballs to the ship. It just looks like a giant Mickey Mouse head. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm going to piggyback right off that because that would also be the one I want to see. Not just because of the fact that it's already been teased, but because of the fact that there has already been talks that they are going to do it. Yeah. Oh, sorry, um, the only There's been rumblings that he actually already wrote it. The only three things that that would matter was one, you, one you'd have to get Rick Moranis to come back. Yes. Because he is retired. Yes. Uh, but he actually has come back for an episode of The Goldbergs. To voice Dark Helmet. Oh my God! Um, and he has Too said hot. in interviews. Too hot. He has said in interviews that if there is any one person that could get him to come out of retirement now that his children are older, yeah. it Mel is Brooks. Mel Brooks. That's amazing. The I only other he is just a tremendous person. Like, the only other wagon. two questions that you have to ask yourself with a Spaceball sequel is who do you get to replace Joan Rivers and John Candy? Oh, because they have they're two actors that have both since passed away. Um, Pizza the Hut, you can kind of get around. Eh, that's that's you know, easy. No, he eats himself fix. to death. He yeah, himself yeah. yeah well, that's what I mean. Dead. That's why you can get around it. No, you but, have you you do Papa John. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty brilliant actually. Because you get there's that's ripe for parody right there. Joan Rivers was was just a voice, so you could get somebody whose voice is relatively similar, but. John Candy fit that role so well. Or follow you. That who do you get to replace him? You do his son. Oh, instead of... Not John Candy, uh, not uh, the son of John Candy, but like... The son of Barf. The son of Bartholomew. Yeah, the son of Barf. Son of Bartholomew. So, all right, I can see that. But I mean, come on, General Vespa. No, I agree with you. That's why I said I was piggybacking off of your idea. And I forget who played Colonel Sanders, but he just comes back and he's Colonel, Colonel KFC, and that's it, because he's not quite chicken anymore. <laughs> but you have to bring back the Winnebago because the Millennium yes. Falcon has stuck it through hey, all the Star Wars movies. We, 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 we got to see the Winnebago this past year, and we'll get into it after the, the credits. It was, yes. in, uh, it was in Ready Player One. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I have seen the actual model of the Winnebago that they used in Star Wars. And Spaceballs. Say goodbye to your two best uh, friends. It's in a museum. (laughs) And I don't mean those two assholes in the Winnebago. And and it's it's in a museum in D.C., right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. I thought I remembered. I saw it when it came to Philly. Did you? I saw it actually in the actual museum. Yeah. Bill. Cat already stole it from me because it's a movie that you don't even need to pitch. History of the World Part 2. It's right in the movie, right at the end. Jews in space. Hitler on ice. <laughs> That's right. 
see a Viking funeral. <laughs> Uh, and it was so it was hysterical because it took me so long to catch that joke on the fact that when they removed their helmets that the horns were still there because I never <laughs> that before, many many years later because it's a blink and you miss it moment <laughs> do you know what you know what the biggest question in my mind is right now after all this discussion of Mel Brooks movies what one is going to be the first one I watch when I get home and I go back and I start rewatching. But actually, they could do the producers too, because they already have the show that they're going to do for the producers too. Prisoners yeah. of Love. Prisoners of Love. Prisoners yeah. of Love. That's true. That'd be awesome. I feel like I feel like every that would be movie, amazing. every movie, at the end of every movie, he's set up for a sequel. He's just like, just in case, you know, Spaceballs Two, The Search for More Money, History of the World Part Two. Yeah. Um, Keep going because I can't think of any other ones. The producers, you know, Prisoners of Love. Uh, was there anything in Long- Young Frankenstein? Oh. No. Uh, putting on the Ritz. Well, actually, it would have been the Bride of the Bride of Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. actually was a setup, essentially. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Frau Bruja. Thank you. Robin Hood Men in Tights, that would have been The Adventures of the Royal Locksmith, because really that's all that you got. Holy Locksmith. Uh, for me, actually, I would say I would actually do a pseudo-sequel to both Young Frankenstein and Dracula Dead and Loving It. I would do... They're same, they're same monster universe. Well, it's the same monster yeah. universe with classic monsters. I would do a Van Helsing movie <gasps> with him visiting all of the classic universal monsters. Oh, my God. That could be fun. That could be, awesome. be a lot of fun. Because he actually played Abraham Van Helsing in... in yeah. Dracula Dead and Loving It. Yep. That's mm-hmm. who Mel Brooks's character was. Oh my god, that's awesome. And that was another, you know, and it, it's kind of, again, that was another thing that I really love about Mel Brooks's movie was it was always fun watching to see what role he was going to be playing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had uh, Yogurt in Spaceballs, um, uh, <laughs> Rabbi Tuckman. In, the, and, we're all gonna get beschnickered. <laughs> the mentalist? <Same-less>? Yeah. <laughs> the, the mental- no, 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 we're just straight. Mary. Just Mary. <laughs> the, the mentally enough to mayor in Blazing Saddles. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did I get you I didn't get a whole bunch that guy. <laughs> You know what's funny is I've been waiting the entire discussion to go Fagalus. Well, because you and the hand motion too. I know this doesn't come across on the video, the, the audio, but you know Ben's just sitting here, and I'm like, I'm, I'm just like staring straight ahead. He's just waving his head, Fagalus. And I love, and it goes into the whole scene. So that whole good. scene too goes into like the whole helmets. Is the fact that when he takes his helmet off, the dreadlocks go off oh, with the hat and go back, and go back on. All right, Robin Hood Men in Tights is definitely the movie I'm watching when I get home. I love that movie. <laughs> so much. That's so good. Right. Well, I think that pretty much covers what we want to say about Mel Brooks. But like I said, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we get back, we're going to talk about uh, 2018 and its, uh, its accomplishments in entertainment. So uh, we'll be back in just a few
All right. I'm sorry. We're back. So I was trying to get Kat to break, and she was starting to already fall apart on her own. <laughs> so... She was hiding at you from behind the, the collar of her shirt. It was really adorable. All right. So because we're in December and we don't have a Star Wars thing to talk about, oh, I figure no. we can talk about the Star Wars things from earlier in the year. We so can. that's a good way to do this. This is the way we get back around on this. Um, all right. So 2018 is about to wrap up. There's a couple of notable things that are still going to be happening as far as movies and such in the next week or two. Uh, Aquaman's coming up. Um, so you can, you can check that out through DC Primetime. But I think beyond that, though, there's not any other big film releases still between now and Christmas, I believe. Once Upon a Deadpool. Okay. Well, we've, we've already seen we've that. We've already though, seen yeah. most yeah. of that movie. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but like, yeah, beyond that, though, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, Mortal Engines. Um, which could make or break uh, sci-fi for the year, so we'll, it's a big wait and see. <laughs> um, but beyond that, um, the pretty much year has happened as far as entertainment stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So I figured this is a good time oh, for us to look at things. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse also opens this week. Oh, yeah? <laughs> That's nice. Mary Poppins returns. Mm. With Lin-Manuel Miranda's in Yeah. Aww. <laughs> precious. And Colin Firth. And Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> yeah. Returning. Well, there's also Holmes and Watson. And Emily Blue, right? Once, <laughs> no. once, Emily I'm Blue. just going through all my AFC app. Okay, I don't care. Yeah, I know. Moving, moving <laughs> on. Um, so I figure the best place to start looking at 2018 as a whole, aside from looking at politics and dispatching our heads into the table, um, which we will avoid for all of you. So, uh, but I figured the best place to start is what everybody's personal highlight of 2018 was. And that doesn't need to be, and I mean that as personal highlight, like what was the big thing for you this year? It doesn't have to be about entertainment. Like, was there a moment of your life that blew out the rest of the things that happened Oh, sure. everybody at this table knows mine because it just happened this week. <laughs> so yeah. lucky. <laughs> well, why don't we share with you? Um, well, 2017 start, ended with The Greatest Showman, which became very quickly one of my favorite movies. By that point, Hugh Jackman had already been one of my... Well, actually, not one of... He was my favorite living actor. Still is to this day. I, have an, I had an opportunity to... Uh, meet him in person and see him perform live in a very limited audience uh, of about 200 people. And it wasn't just seeing him perform. It was the fact that he performed in New York at Christmas in front of the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree, which was (laughs) you take everything I love about New York and mix it with my favorite living actor who singing songs from my favorite movie of 2017 and 18 there's really nothing better than that for 2018. And a lot of the people that don't listen to the other shows that you do on this network, um, New York holds a very special place in your heart. It does. So. Um, I, I was a first responder for, for 9-11. It took me about 13, 14 years before I finally got back to New York after that happened. And I used to go to New York at Christmas every year before 9-11. This was the first time in 17 years since before 9-11 I went to New York at Christmas. I walked to Rockefeller Center by myself. So this was pretty healing for you. It was. And the moment I turned the corner and saw the tree, I got very emotional. And I'm very happy that I did it. And from now on, I will return to that tradition of going to New York City at Christmas every year. That's really awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That That was definitely, again, it just happened. That was the highlight of my my 2000. So who wants to follow that? 
<laughs> I know, right? Oh, yeah, this is so intimidating. Um, you know what? Actually, I'll go. Um, uh, for me, was uh, on the personal front, um, we got to, me and Kat got to do something that we've been wanting to do forever. We went to Parrots. Yeah, that's pretty um, incredible. Uh, which was, it was funny because we went away on a vacation last year to New Orleans because we wanted to go to Paris. <laughs> and we <laughs> and wussed we, out. We wussed out. We yeah. out because it was something we've always had on our bucket list. And we're like, you know what? Let's do that and maybe we'll try next year. Because it's really daunting when to go to a country that you don't speak the language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't know what that experience is going to be like. The only time we've ever been in another country was Ireland. And well, hey, everybody speaks English there, you know. You get people that speak Gaelic, but more than likely, they also speak English. Paris, you're not quite as lucky. Um, But it was it was a phenomenal trip. Like it was it was kind of amazing because the street we were on, we didn't realize until like the last day. But it was like kind of felt like we were on Geek Row because it was like where all the video game shops were, the anime shops were at. (laughs) Like I didn't go into one of those shops because I was just kind of like I was just enjoying the culture and the city and. You know, we got to experience Target in, in Paris, essentially, which was <laughs> the Monoprix, which is where we went, where we went almost daily. It was really like if we didn't have the mental bandwidth to like deal with like sitting in a restaurant and then like trying to be polite and speak the language or like even just like give a little blibbit. We were like, you know, or we could just do the self-checkout at the Monoprix. And it'll cost us, like, five euro, and that'll be I'm great. like, but hey, you know what? I can get an amazing bottle of wine for three euro. That was the other thing. We <laughs> so. were bottling, yeah, we were buying, like, bottles of rosé every other time. <laughs> it was like, As well you should. But, like, I got to check off one of the biggest things in my life ever, which was I got to go in the catacombs yes. and actually spend... A good several hours. I wanted hours. to go to the catacombs since I was a very little girl, which is a very odd thing, I know, but... Most girls are like, dreaming. I want to go to the Eiffel Tower! I wanted to go to the catacombs. We, we got to the enough. vicinity of the Eiffel Tower and was like, let's get as far away from the Eiffel Tower as possible. Funny enough, the catacombs thing, I actually read about it in um, a Babysitter's Club book. So it was actually from... I think I read that one. They went I read to, all they of those ones. To, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they went to, like, they did their Euro trip. Yep. And I loved those books as a kid. Same. And so I they did the catacombs for a brief stint, and then it got in my head, and I looked it up, and I'm like, that's really interesting. But, I mean, so. it was kind of amazing, because that, that trip did a few things for my brain, and so... For one, it was hysterical because everybody was tagging us one morning because it was the same morning that, you know, Patrick Stewart was looking at the Mona Lisa, and which was the same day we oh, happened to also go to the Louvre. They're like, did you see Patrick Stewart, Mike? No. No. <laughs> Nobody saw Patrick Stewart. I'm pretty sure he probably went in there by himself. Yeah. <laughs> if you were Patrick Stewart, wouldn't you? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> um, but again, Hunchback of Notre Dame was never a big Disney movie for me. I got to watch it, like, once. But it was funny to watch Cat deal with the trip in Paris because she's like, I now get it. The gypsies are horrible people. <laughs> because yes. no, absolutely. I fully stand behind that reasoning because it is like, it is the craziest group of grifters ever. And you watch them just this it's really when you get into the like all the heavy grifters, it's like more just we were very neurotic because it's like they will send um a lot of like the you know Romani who are doing the grifting and stuff like that will send um, like the teenage girls up with clipboards to distract and you they, and to distract mm-hmm. you and then they approach you and they have a point person ready like ready to knock you out. 
And it's like, Or just don't walk up down the street behind you. But it was amazing because you could watch them have their meetings down the street where you saw a group of people all walking around a bench together and having a conversation. And it would be people that you don't think should be together. And then you watch them scatter. But then you would start watching them through the city on where would they be stationed. There's it was, a very ingenious. I feel like you need to write a you need to write a book series about it. Was this. it was quite and ingenious from the director position? That would be interesting. It yeah. was That'd be very. Interesting. It was quite ingenious to watch, but at the same some, time, uh, history of Romani on that. But at the same time, as it was happening, you were kind of like, you didn't trust anybody in that city <laughs> because the moment that you see it play out, you're like, oh wow. And I've also never been to a city in my life. Where regardless, like going into a museum that said, please watch for uh, for people like, you know, like pickpockets, things like that. And then reading the, some of the statistics post that trip, it was like, I think they said something that was like 48 handbags would ran, will randomly be in scattered places daily through each security sweep from people that were pickpocketed that day alone in the loop. Wow. And you're like... Damn. <laughs> like, it was just insane. But beyond that, though, too, like, I got to see the Moulin Rouge, which was just awesome. Wow. Like, we walked past Salvador Dali's home. Like, all these little things. Like, it was just, it was one of the coolest places I've ever got to see in my entire life. I thought you were going to say you wanted to see the catacombs because of As Above, So Below. That actually was kind of cool. Because <laughs> one of the first things, actually, I'm no lie, the the night we got back from our, our trip, we actually watched that. Yeah, I watched it. Because we were like, man, I want to see Paris again. Because a lot of that movie's shot in Paris. Yes. Oh, so, yeah. And some of it's shot in the Louvre. So it was... It I was, think some of that movie's actually shot down in the catacombs. It is. It is. It was, yeah. yeah. It's it one of the first actually. movies to actually be shot yeah. partially in the catacombs. So, And you can't, trust me, from going down there, anytime you see it appear anywhere else and it's not real, you know. When you watch that movie, you're like, nope, that's the catacombs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So That's cool, though. That's very true. Um, anybody? Well, if we're sharing personal things that every it sounds like everybody's talking about trips. Um, I can talk about trip too. Okay, you I can trip. Yeah. I went about trip. I went to Ireland. Yeah, um, went to Ireland. I got to drive my own car around Ireland, which uh, is fun. Driving on the left side of the road was awesome. Oh my god, it's crazy! Um, you drove your own car? I didn't drive my own car. Oh, okay. Right. I rented a car. <laughs> All right. I had a higher car, and it was wonderful. Well, I mean, because that is possible. I mean, if you buy a car from overseas, you can go over, drive it, and then bring it home. Right. I've heard that done before. Yeah, I wasn't paying all that much for the car. <laughs> <laughs> um, his car tri- uh, ticket trip is going to be a lot more expensive than <laughs> him and his wife's. But, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, driving around Ireland was a ton of fun. Um, unfortunately, the only day that we were up in the north where you could possibly see the northern lights was the one day that it was cloudy and rainy on our trip. Aww. Um, but that wasn't the whole trip. Uh, we saw a lot of greenery. Like, it's very, very green. Um, I drove, like, a Top Gear driver because I could. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's many, there's not many speed limits out there, are there? There are, but there are really, limits, but... nobody cares. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nobody cares. Like um, I saw Star Wars. I actually went out on the boat to see the, the beehive huts where, you know, <gasps> they, they filmed all the stuff. You went to Skellig City, Michael? Scully Michael. Awesome. Did not stop on the island because you need to reserve those tickets like months and or years in advance. Really? But but you saw the future home of Luke Skywalker. I did. <laughs> um, and then I almost died. That was fun. We almost drove off the road, but you, you know, shouldn't do that. I yeah, shouldn't do that. It is bad. Um, it was a very scary moment, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I can go back to driving like a grandma now. Okay, <laughs> I'm fine. 
I'm fine. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was my big moment of this it's year. Amazing. It was good. Um, I didn't go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm just gonna take a minute. Um, let's see. In 2018, something that was a personal goal of mine, I got a Zumba certification for Zumba Basic One. Which is um, awesome. I taught Huge. my first dance fitness class, and I have been working with uh, Bob Nishamalan, who is the East Coast brand ambassador from Bombay Jam. And is also the the wife of somebody relatively famous. Yes, she is. However, <laughs> in the dance fitness community, he's just her husband. She's oh, yeah. actually a way I'm bigger sure. deal than he is. <laughs> I, saw, I saw you post about that, and I saw her, and I'm like, I know her, yep. but I know her as his wife. Yep, yep. You know her as... Yeah, I, know her as, yeah. I know her as Dr. B. I know her yeah. as Bhavna, and she's amazing. Awesome. So I've been working with her, um, learning a lot more about uh, the different dance fitness programs that I've been involved with, and uh, Bombay Jam is growing in leaps and bounds. We've done a lot of demos in the area. Um, we did one at the Brandywine YMCA, where I was one of the instructors. I've been able awesome. to participate when she's done demos and actually get up and dance on stage with her at Love To Be Fit Studios in Marchwood. Give a little plug for my favorite mm-hmm. dancing spot. Um, and um, let's see. So I'm also going to take a minute and brag about my kids because my kids are <laughs> freaking amazing. Like I said, it's one of the things we don't do on the show too much is talk about us versus... Sure. We, we I, talk mean, about I don't get our, to go anywhere. So like I'm a parent. My, my, my trip money gets spent on my children. So... Um, Let's see. My daughter, Lily, is in Troop 19. She is actually going to be... They're going to be merged in with the what was formerly known as the Boy Scouts of America. So she wants to be one of the first girls to get her Eagle Scout as a legacy to her dad. Um, Her younger brother, Jude, is also in Cub Scouts and is doing phenomenally well in participating. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to many more scouting adventures with them Telling me about camping when they get home. <laughs> because mommy doesn't camp. Daddy camps. And he's really good at it. Um, also, my husband's amazing. And we got to go to PAX Unplugged this past weekend, which was just phenomenal. And I believe all of you guys were there yeah. with us. Yeah. And, you were there, and you were there. And you were there. And you were there. Um, and we had a wonderful celebration afterwards at Tiernanog in Philadelphia, which was just outstanding. An amazing meal. And fun. great friends and great company. And even better board games. Like, just so many phenomenally great board games. Um, oh, and one kid I haven't bragged about yet. Alec, my littlest. He is four and a half years old now, and um, he is autistic. And he is just... He's amazing. That little boy just he's has... He's a rock star. He, yeah. has, he has me wrapped around his little pinky finger. <laughs> um, he is finally now becoming verbal and really starting to understand that words equal objects. And if he once said object, whether it's cookie or a hug or his favorite toy or whatever, he is finally starting to realize that he needs to say the word in order to get the thing. So that, I mean, while it's not a fancy trip anywhere, is a pretty huge accomplishment. And uh, Absolutely. So that's my life. Do, <laughs> one question before we move on to anybody else. When you do your Zumba classes with, yes. this, said fa- with this said famous person's wife, yes. as I call her, do any of your dances end with a sudden plot twist? Well, I mean, there are some new twists. I can show you one of those if you like. Well, I mean, we can talk about that later, but when you're done, we can, I just, at one time. I mean, do time, I like punch somebody in the face? No, I just, at one time, I just want you to end it and, and just get on a microphone and say, what a twist. No. no okay. That's all. Well, what, what that, I think the only thing Sorry, you do for a twist for like Bobby and Jen is like, like there's a record scratch. Yes. And then a completely different song starts. <laughs> it goes into a well, actually, I mean, they do actually mix up Bollywood tracks and, you know, a, like different songs, like American Top 40 or songs that you would hear. <laughs> like, and done. So, yeah, there are kind of some twists like that. It'll, it'll all of a sudden there'll be a record scratch and it'll go into Michael Bublé home. 
<laughs> Not quite. <laughs> but ask and answer. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I would say probably my personal highlight. Um, it's been a crazy up and down year with books. There have been a lot of really bad things and good things. But one thing that was really cool and stands out is um, I actually wrapped up my um, Take to the Skies series this year, my airship steampunk series, and that was the an airship named Desire was the f- first book I ever got published back in 2012. Yay! So it was really rewarding to finally have finished that this year, six years later. Um, because it's just nice to have that completion of like finishing it where I started six years ago. Um, you know, I've, I, I had already finished another series before that, but this one just took a bit longer. <laughs> and um, so, but it was just really like rewarding to feel that like completion. closure. Yeah. It's, it's really nice to have that. Um, and I'm super looking forward to where everything's moving forward book wise. Next year, because one of my old publishers had shut down end of 27, actually around this time, almost exactly, um, last year, and all six books that were displaced have gotten rehomed, so they're all coming back. <laughs> so the Coven, Philly Coven Chronicles is all coming back in 2019? No, two of them are coming back in 2019 and two are in 2020. And then so you had another book. series started with that same publisher that should almost almost different all publisher. be different publisher. Well, no, different. Uh, yeah. Well, that where Philadelphia Covered Chronicles uh, was at. Lucid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had so. the Tribal Spirit series start there as well, but that's now with a brand new publisher as well. Yes. And most That'll of that finish next year. All that, five. Books. All five books will be out. Yes, I wrote two of them this year. I had two of them written last year, and then I'm going to try to cram out the last one beginning of next year. And then the Discord's Desire series got... It's going to keep going keep, on. Keep on, yep, keep keep on, on going. Keep on. <laughs> so, so you will have all of the books out the in 2019. Series. My goal is to hit 20 books by next year. Keep on air trucking. Air trucking. <laughs> yeah. But t- 20 books in 2019 will not... 20 new books, but 20 books on the market by the end of 2019 is not unheard of at all considering what's already on its about to get released next year. It's absolutely I I know a lot of the books that you write are more like romantic, kind of like 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 science fiction, things like that. Have you ever thought about trying anything different, like a a comedic story or something like Uh, that? I haven't done comedy, actually, and I've never done mystery... Um, but I do like genre hopping a lot. Yeah. I tend to veer towards the genres I read. So I do young adult, I do sci-fi fantasy, and I do um, romance. Because mm-hmm. that's what I read. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it would be fun to try something different. Yeah. So I figured, aside from the fact of talking a little bit about ourselves, because again, it's not something we really go into too, too much inside of, hey, I just got back from a trip, and then that's about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we don't really talk about ourselves much on the show. And we don't want the packs. I think it was a good idea yeah, to, to talk about it. And yeah, we can, if we want, we can take a moment or two. Like I said, we have some time if we want to quickly mention, uh, we all just got back from PAX Unplugged last week, which is second year for the show. So if you're not familiar with it, it is the uh, only PAX show that is a board game show. Uh, and it's one of the few large board game conventions in the States. 
So uh, next to Gen Con and Dice Tower Con, pretty much. That's yeah. mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. I and mean, there's, there's smaller shows. And I will continue to go, because this was my first year going, but uh, going forward, I will only be going on Fridays and Sundays. <laughs> because yep. Saturdays were way too many people. Saturday I can only insane. go Saturdays. So well, if you... I can only go and have a babysitter, so... Yeah. Well, if you listen to the show and you did happen to go, PAX did send out their surveys. So make sure to let them know what you liked and didn't like about the show, because I filled in that long, long survey and said, please make your aisleways larger and yeah. spread your show out more, because that convention center, you only used a small fraction. Yeah, right. And I appreciate people bringing their kids to this show, but please, double-wide strollers. <laughs> it's, it was... I, I was walking down the aisleway, and this goes along with the widening the aisleways. And there was a lady trying to yeah, push a double wide stroller, and I'm like, I, I can move to the side, but you still ain't getting through here. This is just it's not possible with everything that's there. Yeah. These are reasons why I got a babysitter. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but, I mean, but, like I saw people there in wheelchairs that had to sit and stop in aisleways oh, and wait because yeah, there no. was no way to get yeah. through. Honestly, yeah. there were. I could definitely see some issues with that, just from like an ability standpoint. Um, they need to do better next they, year. They need to do yeah. a little bit better. Even that, even just like the booths themselves. Like obviously, you don't have a lot of room. They were cramped. But things were cramped. Tables were like literally on top of each other in certain areas and certain booths and if you have somebody that's there there i mean as somebody who formerly worked retail you actually have regulations of how wide you need aisles to be to I, get in between I, things and they met the minimum and yeah. i i, I yeah. think they they met them they also probably didn't anticipate that much growth year to year mm-hmm. for a second year show to have that much growth i no lie this if was you, only it, the second year this yeah. was its second year oh wow and no lie i would say it, last it year saturday attendance versus this year saturday attendance i would not be surprised if it doubled if not tripled wow in and, attendance on saturday and as somebody who is right now currently putting together a convention of their own i can tell you one of the biggest challenges that they probably had is Yes, that convention center has a lot of other room that they can buy or that they could use. It's a pricing issue as well. Um, that that fill that that convention center is very expensive. So to use even more of it, it's not like they could just move a wall. They would literally have yeah. to take a whole nother. They would literally almost have to double in size in order. But to you know get what? I will room. say this: <clears throat> for a weekend. Pass for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It was sixty dollars. I've gone to small shows where it's eighty-five dollars mm-hmm. for a weekend. Yep. Yep. And you know what? That's a show that I will willingly spend an extra ten dollars oh, yeah. or so to give me more space and more peace of mind. Yep. Well, like Wizard World for day pass was sixty for the Saturday. Wow. Whereas, like, yeah, you know, so you look at like Pax's prices are too crazy. many games as a local show here. It's more than $30 for an entry for a Saturday. Yeah. It was like $35 or $40. And it's Oaks. And it's Oaks. It's Oaks Convention like Center, which is a dramatically smaller place and a smaller show. Yeah. Yeah. And PAX is a large, grandiose show. So I think they've warranted, if they say, hey, next year, guys, I'm sorry, it's going up 10 or 15 bucks. I'd pay it. I'd absolutely yep. pay it because it's one of the first times I've actually ever walked away from a show and said, that was worth every second. And I feel like yeah. I still didn't even have enough time. And they gave me adequate time to do a lot. As, yeah. as somebody who's attended a lot of cons, like Wizard World, New York Comic Con, I'm used to going to cons where you kind of have to squeeze through people and things like that. But something like this, one of the biggest issues I saw where I would want the expanded aisles, <clears throat> I can't tell you, I lost count as to how many times I was moving through and I got whacked with bags. And not bags of like 
pop vinyls and things like that bags with huge boxes of full games Uh and you just you really can't avoid it without making those aisles bigger yeah i think they need to restrict the the bag situation a backpack is fine you don't need to lug around gloomhaven with you on a in a backpack (laughs) because they make board game backpacks they do and i saw a number of them gloomhaven and another 12 games in addition to it wasn't there there was a stand selling but yeah. I had I had yeah. seen them before, yeah. but there was a stand there selling those. those they were they were kickstarted this past yeah. year. So. They were monstrosities. It's the it's the PUBG level three backpack problem. Like you know, level one backpack, level two backpack. They're nice and small and compact, and they don't really do much to you. Level three backpack puts a big target in your back, saying, "Everybody, I'm here. This bag is huge. <laughs> it's bigger than me." It's like yes, but also if you're wearing that backpack, you need to be aware that you now have an extra two feet off of you. And that if you turn suddenly, you're gonna smack the hell out of somebody standing right next to you. I'd rather people aren't. I'd rather that two feet be behind them though in a backpack than over their shoulder where I'm whacking it as I'm pat as I'm getting Mm -hmm. hit by it as I'm passing. Yeah. But anyway, Paxo still. It was still yep. fun. Yeah. It was a yeah. really fun show. It was a 10 phenomenal 10 show. Would Pax again? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think absolutely. I, I know I will definitely be back there again, probably for a full three days next year, or at least Friday, Saturday. Because uh, man, that's a great show. So mm-hmm. yep. I think I mean I would really like to take my older two kids to that, especially they for Sunday. It. They would have loved oh, yeah. it. Brian took Sid, and they mm-hmm. had. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I definitely, I would think about, and my youngest would not be able to handle it. It'd be way too overwhelming and That's overstimulating fair. for him. That's but really um, I definitely think that the older two would have had a Absolutely. lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So well, maybe we'll consider that for a family day next year. So yeah. looking at um, 2018 and looking at the realm of entertainment and geek culture, I figure the best place to start is what part of geek culture surprised everybody here the most this year versus previous years? Bill. So. I actually have an answer for both of these questions. Well, let's start with the first part, and then we'll it might break this up to okay. what disappointed you the most. What, I mean, unless it folds together. It, it kind of does fold together. So one company surprised me the most and also disappointed me the most this year. <laughs> I already know where you're going. Uh, I, uh, it, the company is my favorite ever in the entire world, and a lot of other people share this fandom as well. Blizzard. Wonderful company. Released a whole lot of grandiose IPs, um, you know, and they had the Overwatch League this year. It's an amazing thing. They finally took esports and tried to move it into the mainstream by saying, hey, these esports teams have their own cities to go along with them now. So it's not just like, hey, I'm following this team that's sponsored by company XYZ. Oh, yay. Uh, But it's my team. I have a team now mm-hmm. that I can root for from Philly, the Philly Fusion. Which you're rocking their shirt I right now. I am rocking their shirt Aww, right now. Oh, that's cute. And I will also share the disappointment from Blizzard <laughs> with Diablo Immortal. The big, here's what we're going to announce in our keynote speech at BlizzCon this year. It's a mobile game. Hey, we're the company that made PC gaming big with World of Warcraft and War and and the regular Warcraft, um, you know, RTS and StarCraft and Diablo, and we're going to give you a mobile game next. So, I mean, the reason, and some people, like I said, there's plenty of people that are gamers, and people game on all different devices. I think it's the idea of gamer is is it means hey, everybody now, but. They're also Blizzard is the company that basically helped coin the phrase PC Master Race. I am not gonna. I am not putting down mobile games here at all. I love mobile games, um, and but 
with again with their PC heritage to say we're going to release a mobile game as the next big thing was really kind of just like that's it. You don't have anything else in your bag of tricks there. You're not even going to say, "Hey, we're doing this other thing, and it's going to be ready when it's ready." Trademark Blizzard. Um, <laughs> but I have actually have one more disappointment. Good. I was disappointed they didn't have the packs unknown uh, po- Pokemon at packs unplugged. They did it at PAX East. They did it at original PAX. You know, there was unknown everywhere. Spelling out PAX. Not at PAX Unplugged. Mm. (laughs) Niantic, get on your shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, I'm going to throw one up there right now, too. Um, I would say the part of geek culture that surprised me the most this year, and also disappointed me the uh, the most, was... um, the movement didn't disappoint me. The, the the movement actually, I was very happy about and seeing how strong it was. But it made me disappointed in so many celebrities. Was the Me Too movement? Yeah. Um, I think it was uh, really phenomenal. Uh, the fact that so many people's voices were finally heard, and that was something that started late, late in 2017. But yeah. the real push happened in 2018, uh, and we saw it impact even things locally. Um, there's been shows that we've gone to and. Cat has vended at and friends have vended at for many, many years that we even saw that impact there. Um, and I was really happy to see so many survivors in the entertainment industry started a wave of getting people to speak up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it was one of the most powerful movements ever. Um, and I think it's definitely not had its, you know, it hasn't, you know, that sunset hasn't happened yet. I think we're yeah. going to see that hopefully continue and people not being afraid to let their voices be heard. And uh, I was really very, very, uh, you know, happy to see um, so much light brought to such a horrible thing. Um, The downside, as I mentioned, again, is so many people that were heroes for so many um, at the end of the day are no longer heroes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where... It, not not to mention the fact that people were hurt in the process of this because that's really the biggest disappointment is so, finding out so many people have been impacted or affected by an action like this. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, though, too, that changes the cultural landscape of the way that we look at entertainment. Um, it's really hard to go back to a project or a film sometimes that you thoroughly loved or enjoyed. And you can't look at it the same way. And sometimes that's a good thing that you can't look at it in the same way because it reminds you that... These actors, while they may be huge and big, they are not untouchable. Um, but that does change the way that we look at even past landscapes. And you it forces the world kind of to have to take a step back and look at things and say, can you look at things from a limelight of the past? Can you look at it through a lens and thoroughly enjoy something that a whole bunch of people were a part of uh, versus having it tarnished by one person? And it adds a lot of ethical questions to start thinking about when it comes to how we consume and view entertainment as a whole. So I think that is something that's very that was a bit of a disappointment because it's not something I think so many of us really anticipated and were ready to have to force ourselves to answer that question. So I think it really altered the landscape in a massive way going into 2019. Um, and the positive of that, though, I think that really is there is the fact that um, it makes you believe that going forward into 2019, if there are dirty people involved, they're, they're going to get gonna, called out. They're going to yeah. get called out. Yeah. Uh, ben, first. I, I think one of the other <clears throat> one of the other negatives to that too, uh, to kind of uh, you know tack onto that is 
while it made us think differently about some of these people and the projects that they've worked on and looking at them differently, I think one of the other things that became a negative was that it also caused a lot of people to try and use that as a 15 minutes of fame by calling out people who necessarily didn't do anything wrong. There was an instance where somebody called out Morgan Freeman for doing something that he didn't do. And it was literally just so this woman could get her 15 minutes of fame. Um, I disagree yeah, on that I one. I would disagree on that I'll one. I'll jump because, in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, that kind of goes along with believing survivors. And out of the millions of people who've been affected by the Me Too movement, and I mean, like, you talk to... Oh, I mean, I've been... I, I got groped at work by a 95-year-old man once. Um, you know, you talk, you talk to most women, we have stories. So, yeah, so maybe one person got called out for something that they didn't actually do by somebody who was making false accusations. But that in some way, you can't let that oh, overwhelm not. or... And please let me finish my Sorry. thought. Thank <clears throat> you. Um, you can't really let that take precedence and say, well, this person called out somebody else for, for something that they didn't do just so that they, so therefore no survivors can be believed. It's still something that's very much a core that this happens and it is traumatic for people. And it happens so much within an industry because it was just expected that the casting couch, that's how you're going to get your roles. If you're a young actress in Hollywood, or it's just expected, Oh, it's just Harvey being Harvey. He's probably going to expose himself to you at some point or masturbate in front of you. Like, the, this is shit that happened to people, and I, I think that's really discon, that's really disconcerting, and it really actually kind of just saying that, that like one person was accused falsely. It takes it, you you can't say that and have it like take away from everybody else's experience. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that because somebody accused Morgan Freeman of something that he didn't do that I now say everybody's just in it for attention. All I'm stating is that. While most of these stories do need to be looked into, there are very few instances, few and far between, that people have used it for attention. I'm not saying I, if I hear an accusation, I don't take it seriously, because I do. So just please don't take what I said the wrong way. Understood. That's it. Um, so I, I understand what you're saying with that. The interesting thing, though, if you look at it, is... Um, in those situations where there were false accusations, usually things were brought to light pretty quick. So even if they did deal with some flack, it was for a very short window. Um, because, like, George Takei was, had, like, a false accusation mm -hmm. against him and things like that. But if they were innocent... They'll say, hey, go ahead and do the investigation. It's if okay. They were in, like, when, when their innocence, you know, was proven, everything like that... There were no well, further repercussions. Well, that's, that's why I said. Well, that's why I said fifteen minutes of fame. I mean, yeah. literally fifteen minutes of fame in Absolutely. nowadays is like a day, and that's really all it is. Because, like, the the biggest thing, and I think because I understand where Jada's getting upset because there's been a lot of, um, you know, that's been a that's been a constant fight against people coming up uh, coming out about their stuff for yeah. years. Has been like, oh, but there's been that one person that said, you know, that. There it's was like, but that person's a good guy, or. Such right. and such. And but, unfortunately, um, we've heard that well, in was, person too many times. Yeah. And I think. I have, yeah. It's, <laughs> but it's one of those things where, um, in the end, I mean, like, you look at, like, a lot of these uh, people whose lives were supposedly ruined, too. They weren't. They, like, they bounce back and no problem. The people who end up with their lives ruined are the victims of, like, yeah, the assaults, the rapes, the, you know constant sexual harassment well, I, and, like and I agree that every accusation should be taken seriously and Absolutely. if you're somebody who's accused of something and you didn't do it then you're the person to stand up and say go ahead look into it I do understand the concern with like media circus and things like that because when they do latch on to things like one of my friends who had been raped in the past and she was talking to me about it like that's one thing she was a little 
um, uh, just leery about when the media gets like their hands on something mm-hmm. and goes crazy with it. Because when you said the 15 minutes of fame, I can think of, like it. it is like sometimes people go in the wrong direction where it's like it gets blown in and it, you lose sight of the small voices mm-hmm. that matter, you know, but on, I mean, I think since it's like, since the media has found new things, um, it's consistently been a good thing in place. Yeah, I agree. And has been really, really helpful in weeding out like some real nasty yeah. elements of geek circles. Or right? <laughs> yeah. It's been essential. I just don't want it to seem like it. Oh, no. no we, I, I, I don't want it to we, seem we like know, We know you're not defending yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not defending it at all. I think that, every, that was I, not my take on it at all. I was I, kind of playing the opposite. I think every accusation that. should be taken seriously. I they just, absolutely should. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, again, I think I, I think it was I think it was again. And when I say it's something that surprised me the most this year, it was like, wow, didn't see that coming. But you know, I'm really happy that it's it's in the cultural limelight, and it's and something I think it's that should have happened a while ago. And it is absolutely. It, absolutely, and it's it's been it's done so much good though in bolstering people to speak up. Like there's so many people who I might have known, like you know, one on one what they had gone through but they're actually publicly feel comfortable speaking about Holly, it now and yeah hollywood has amazing. hollywood has done some amazing things for our culture as a whole um i mean when people were afraid to come out as gay when you have an actor or a football player or anybody that says boom yeah. and you have a hero or somebody that's in the cultural light saying hey then it, People have a new hero to stand behind. Mm-hmm. So Representation when, matters. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think that it's this was the next big push that happened in our culture that was long overdue. Yeah. Agreed. So, um, next, we still have three more of you. So. Uh, I can say one of the things that I really enjoyed about this year was uh, we got finally, it took 10 years, but we got the culmination of what Marvel has been building. Yeah. And we got Infinity War, part one of Infinity War, and we actually just got the teaser trailer for part two with the t- with the the title revealed of Avengers Endgame. Yay! So I'm and Avengers Infinity War is one of those movies that even I knew it was going to be good. I knew I was going to love it, and it totally surpassed my expectations. And I literally saw that movie three times in theaters. And I, one of my biggest memories of it was taking my mother to see it because my mom has gotten into the, the Marvel oh, movies. Oh, nice. And I just remember telling her, I was like, I'm just going to warn you right now. Somebody doesn't make it. And I just remember seeing, going to take her to theaters to see it and her walking out of the theater saying, you fucking lied to me. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, you said somebody. I was like, yes, somebody didn't make it. As well as 50% of the rest of the universe. Oh They're all somebody, Mom. <laughs> um, so, I guess piggybacking on another, I guess, couple movies that I thought uh, with geek culture that made some really forward strides was because um, Black Panther came out this yep. year, which was a major milestone. It came b- bouncing off of the representation matters. That you was so huge. <laughs> well, you guys can have this conversation together. And then, um, yeah, and then the other big one too. Um, even in uh, Supergirl this season, has a trans superhero and for the very first time, a trans actress playing a trans superhero. Yay. Yeah, which is amazing. And like, so you know, kudos to Marvel and DC for stepping it forward. 
Absolutely. And not only with Black Panther do you have this, like, amazing culmination of, like, you know, so many wonderful actors of color, but you also have so many strong women in that movie, too. Like, Dude, Shuri just, rocks. And- Shuri's know, amazing. She like, she's adorable. quickly becoming my favorite Disney princess right now. Um, I can't wait to see what they do with her character. I hope they are, you know, producing more Black Panther movies. But it's just so great to see a superhero for children of color to really look up to. Um, you know, I have a lot and, of friends. One who, of the best, mar, one of the best villains yes. I have oh ever God. seen in a in a movie ever. ever. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you put Ryan Coogler and Michael P. Jordan together, and it's magic every time. <laughs> you look at yes. Creed, and you look at Black Panther, and it's just. But it was. Yeah. Killmonger was you're right. One of the best one villains of the, we've seen. One one of the best villains, not just in a superhero movie, but one of the best villains in general. Yeah, I, I think it was because it was a character so incredibly multifaceted. Uh, that it was a punch to the gut at the end. Like, and it yeah. was, I mean, it was hard not to try to have to find a way to catch your breath after his last few words that he says. And well, you're like, oh. wow. And that's one of the beauties of, of Killmonger is that some of the best villains, we've talked about this on DC Primetime before, some of the best villains are the ones that they make sympathetic to their own cause. Mm-hmm. And you actually got behind why he was doing what he was doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, any, how about as far as disappointment for you? I'm trying to think. Uh, come back to me on that one. Do you have any? Um, Jada, do you have a big disappointment of this year? Do I have a big disappointment? I mean, as far as like movies? <laughs> geek or culture geek in general. Stuff? Geek culture in general. Can it be geek culture or pop culture? Well, pop culture yeah, is, and be. geek culture kind of, in, in, based on what you're <laughs> into, politics. is the same thing. So I do and then I don't. Okay. Um, so I'm a little disappointed with certain sects of Star Wars fans and their rejection of the new Star Wars direction Star Wars movies. Because honestly... The way they treat actors and actresses. Thank you, yes. Because there's, I mean... Ha- and directors what? and... So, um, Kelly Marie Tran like, yes. deleted her Twitter yeah. and her Instagram account because of harassment. Like, please, geeks, do better. Like, stop yeah. being... Well, Millie Bobby Brown was so, Millie yes. Bobby Brown was another one who yep. dropped off of Twitter because she yes. was bullied on Twitter. Yes, so many people have been. People have a hard time making that difference of reality and character, and that's really what it boils down to. Absolutely, um, but also getting back to what I was saying with like you know Star Wars fans in general and things like that, people kept calling the, the independent solo film like solo. They were like, "Oh, it's a flop. It was terrible." I actually loved it. I, I loved was it. Really, really good. I it. Actually, I was going to bring up. If, yeah, if, it was a great heist film. It had I, an awesome plot, great characters. Uh, a disappointment for me of this year was not Solo, but the fact that like it got like it, it, it got pinned, and I'm like, I, it it, was am I really insane? Good. Did, did all of our really friends good. have head injuries when we walked into that movie? <laughs> to the point that we like we all yeah, yeah. we all thought that it was like a horrible film or something like that. No, like, I thought it was amazing. It was fantastic. And a lot of the people that I know who are you know really just diehard fans absolutely loved it, but. But then, of course, you have so many, you know, of the the talking heads of like the, I only like this kind of, that's not my Star Wars, and that, It's like, well, don't call yourself a fan then. Like, yeah. just just maybe say you used to be a Star Wars fan and you're not anymore. Or like, hey, I liked three of the of the nine movies. Or ten, <laughs> I know. No, sorry, yeah. sorry, three of the ten movies. Exactly, that I made. exactly. But, but only um, those three. Yes, they're the only ones that exist. Um, but I actually really, really enjoyed Solo. What's that? Oh, oh, nothing. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I, I very much enjoyed it. I saw it twice in the theater. But I, like, I think the disappointment for me is because of that response, we lost the idea of a few things happening. Like, hey, you know, the end of Solo, you know what? We're well after what we've established on our show here 
is spoiler territory time of two weeks <laughs> post a movie coming out that yes. we're allowed to discuss it on the show. We are well beyond that. We had this amazing tease of an old Star Wars like like villain by the way of Darth Maul, who yes. we see in Aww. things like Clone Wars. Yes. We're never going to see that story finished out. We're not going to see or get our Obi Wan Kenobi movie most likely now. All of these things because things didn't go well. Granted, at the same time, because Disney, some people had to be pouty. Well, not really that though. Too, I think a little bit of it too is Disney also made some bad decisions around that movie, like not having a marketing budget or a marketing campaign at all, almost. Mm. To in addition to it, saying let's release. A a Star Wars movie four months after a Star Wars movie, yeah, which like there was a lot of dumb mistakes on Disney's on part. In addition to the fans, that I think really, unfortunately, put a kind of a knife in the yeah. gut of Star Wars for a little while, a while until we hit next year. Like Resistance is kind of crawling out of the ashes of what came earlier Aww. in this year, and it's it's not a bad show. It's really good. It's for a different audience, which is the audience Star Wars was always created for, which is kids. Which is kids. Kids and families. Also, another one that I've been impressed with. Um, you also had the the culmination and the ending, the ending of the uh, Star Wars Rebel series, which was, mm. oh my god, so oh, I keep forgetting that was this year. Yeah, this year was, was the longest. Just, year. It was it was a really really just phenomenal series. Right. I enjoyed it from start to finish and wept copiously at the end. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I think still to this day that that Rebels was the best Star Wars that has ever been told. So, the best uh, Star Wars to ever Star Wars. It's the best Star Wars <laughs> the best to ever Star, Star Wars. Ever yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think, yeah, that was huge. All right, let's move to the next point. Um, so what was everybody's entertainment medium of choice uh, in 2018? Uh, that could be a whole bunch of things. Your medium of choice being that could be books, television, movies, board games, video games, so on and so forth. Uh, and give me a little bit of... Backstory as to why um, I never got to say my disappointment of 2018. Oh yeah, go oh, for it. what was your disappointment? The Tide Pod challenge. Oh my gosh, oh. Oh. that's I all. I forgot that was this year too. <laughs> yeah. That was a thing. Yeah, yeah, that's all. Right, it was a little blip on the horizon. <laughs> Back to the medium. Okay, so in this, I want to add to this because this is going to be a big bulk of our conversation as we kind of wrap up our thoughts of this year. So when we get to these, and what we'll do is we'll each kind of state what our entertainment medium of choice was, and I want you to kind of bring up what your top five were in those areas. In so each what we'll, medium, or...? Well, no, your medium of choice, because oh, Cat yeah, might be one. books, yeah, uh, where mine may be board games. <laughs> uh, Ben's is going to be film or TV or something like that. So all of our thoughts may change up a little bit. So I figured this is a good way for us to do this instead of all That's of us saying, hey, you know what, I have a book I really thoroughly loved too, but just give me your personal medium of choice and your top five. Okay. Um, and then what we can do is yeah. after we do our top five, we're going to do our in our medium that we liked, our least favorite that we engaged oh. with, and then uh, maybe oh. one piece of entertainment from 2018 we think is going to stand the test of time, uh, the test of time, and that can be from any medium. Um, I, I, I thought that was the best way for us I to like do that. that. I like it. And if you want, if you're having a hard time with your least favorite, if you want to kind of go on the outside a little bit and mix it up a little, that's fine. But if um, your top five, try to keep it from your your personal uh, area that you like the most. So okay. who would like to start? I'll start it. Ben. Uh, you you hit the nail on the head. My the medium would be movies because I'm always I'm a huge movie buff. I've always been a huge movie buff. Um, but TV, you know, ranks in there too, but more movies than anything else. Top five of the year, um, I, I, I gotta go, it's in no particular order, because I can't put them in order. Oh, you don't have to put it in order. Just give me your top five, like I said, and just say, hey, they all get number one. Um, Ready Player One is, that was this year, right? Yeah. Okay, yep. I have to, sometimes I get confused. Um, 
uh, Infinity War, Black Panther uh, are in there as well. Um, I guess I could put um, Solo in there at the same time. But the one that surprised me the most, the one I had a feeling was going to be good and ended up being so much better than I thought it was going to be, Bad Times at the El Royale with John Hamm and uh, Jeff Daniels and, man... That movie blew, and Nick Offerman, that movie blew me away as to how good it was. And it's usually independent, it's usually those movies that kind of fly under the radar a little bit that really do tend to blow me away. Like Baby Driver last year was the one I probably would have given it to. But Bad Times at the El Royale this year was just, that's one of those movies that I can't wait for it to pop online so I can add it to Plex. Because I want to watch it again and again and again. That's awesome. Um, so do you have uh, so actually who wants to jump in next as far as their medium of choice Bill wow um, <laughs> this is going to be a tough one Blizzard obviously, <laughs> obviously my medium Overwatch of Heroes uh, Heroes of 2018 are not a category <laughs> yeah. no no my um... and Jada if you want to mix it up a little bit feel free my category <laughs> my category is video gaming um, definitely like I, I love video games it's what I do uh, I don't really. I, I watch some TV. I watch some movies. I read some books, but I think video games are where where I, I'm at now. Is this just in 2018? In, just yes. released? Well, I, just in, I, I want just you, discovered in 2018. Just discovered just because discovered. it doesn't it doesn't have to be so purely you from the year. It okay. This is the first time you experienced it okay. because again, okay. I know a lot of times like, in, in the medium I'm going to go into is going to be a yeah. purely it, it is discovered in this year. Yes. So so obviously uh, number one and it just just happened. Smash Brothers Ultimate, like Aww. it's amazing. Uh, Nintendo really came back with a hit to to make sure Smash Brothers is here to stay and everybody wants to keep playing it. Oh, I told you before we even started, this is the most I've played my Switch since I bought since I got yep. it. Yep. Um, other than that, I think uh, you turned me on to this game, Rob, Battleship Brigade. Uh, it, it's a great game where you fight monsters and you take the monster meat and then cook it. And it's like it, it's it is Iron, Iron Chef. Chef. Yeah, it is Iron Chef with, uh, mixed with um, Dragon Slayers. Well, no, it's not even that. It, it it is it is it is Iron Chef mixed with uh, God. What's the best match three puzzle game you can think of? Be- Bejeweled. Yeah, Bejeweled. Yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah. You actually have to go out and hunt the things you're going to cook. You have a time limit hanging above you the entire time. Is this time. a console game? Or yes. It's on the Switch. It's on really? the Switch. It's on the Switch. And what's it called? Battleship Brigade. Um, I'm going to have to look into this. It is a super easy and super fun game. Like, the combat that you have to do out in the field is very simple. You can button yep. mash your way through it. Yep. Uh, and But it's all about, you have a ticking clock to do, play Bejeweled, essentially. But you're, one chef will say, we want something spicy using this ingredient. So you have to hunt that beast in X amount of time, plus bring its remains back and cook it with other things that you harvested when you were out fighting mm-hmm. and say ta-da here's your recipe yep. interesting jada okay so um i would have to say probably i would go with board games oh we're still in oh, in, 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 oh, yeah. oh sorry <laughs> i didn't realize you weren't done yet it's okay <laughs> it's okay um so other games uh, this year magic uh magic the gathering arena um <laughs> They've finally re-released Magic into an online format that is easily digestible and not super expensive, like Magic Online was. Um, Getting over it with Bennett Foddy, 
dumbest game ever. It's like Quop on steroids. Remember Quop? Yeah, it's the little game with the the track and field runner, and you have to use QWOP on your keyboard to make to, it run to make the character run. So you actually have to do it in a rhythm. Yeah, okay. you, you, and and this game, you just have to use your mouse, and you use your mouse to swing this hammer, and you are a guy in a bucket trying to get up a mountain of like trash. It's really ridiculously frustrating and hilarious <laughs> and wonderful at the same time. Um, a game that I haven't picked up in a while, but I believe I started playing this year. Great take on zombie survival uh, called They Are Billions. It is 2018. Um, and this is just basically, hey, build up your base and survive the zombie hordes. Simple as that. And then the zombie hordes get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And yes, when when the game finally gets to the end, they are billions and they start rushing you. And unless you have a really good computer, your computer decides to take a crap and die. <laughs> like mine did. Um, I think that's about that's, it. That's your fun. Yeah, that's my fun. All right, Jada. Okay, so board games are kind of a big thing in my house. We play a lot of games with our kids. We play a lot of games with our friends. Um... So I would say probably my top five board games that we've played this year. Um, Captain is Dead. Super fun game where you're basically on like a Starship Enterprise-esque kind of mission and your captain dies. And you kind of have to hold the ship together as the ragtag crew and uh, figure out your plans for making the ship stop exploding and uh, get your your shields in order and get the warp engines back online and hopefully win the game. Oh, and also there are like fish-headed aliens that like you know <laughs> come in mass onto the ship that you have to then beat as well. So that one's really fun. We've played that one a heck of a lot. Um, another one that we really enjoy and sort of a two for one because they are two different sets would be Five Minute Dungeon. Super fun, super easy. Um, it's basically exactly a five minute dungeon crawl, and you have everybody has a different, your standard high fantasy D and D esque sort of archetype character. You have certain cards that either jump, smash, like you have swords, you have jumps, you have um, arrows, and you have potions that you can like throw at the different monsters, and certain characters get different abilities. They also have a five minute Marvel game, which is really good. I actually think 5-Minute Marvel is better in a lot of ways because you get standard cards and then you get hero cards. And Squirrel Girl. Because Squirrel Girl should be in everything because she's freaking amazing. Um, let's see. So that's 1, 2, and 3. Uh, before there were stars. This is a really beautiful game. Um, I picked it up at a local game shop near us called The Games Keep in Westchester, PA. Check it out. They're amazing. Um, and I saw it, and the artwork really drew me to it because in many things, the packaging will sell me before the product will. But as I was reading the rules for the game on the back of the box, I was like, this is really intriguing. So basically what it is is you have to create the mythology of a society. And you do it by rolling dice, and the dice, the little bit uh Pips on the dice um, represent different animals on these different cards and different constellations. So you have to then create a story every go around. You have to create and add more to your story and more to the mythology for the characters that you're coming out. So you can make it silly. You can make it serious. You can make it really deep and like meaningful. Um, 
Or you can just play around with it and have fun, but it's a beautiful game and it gets people together. So that one I really like. And let's see, I need one more. What's another <laughs> game that we played? We played so many at PAX, but the, I know, one, right? the one that I absolutely adore is Trash Pandas. It's it so freaking really fun. Um, basically, everybody at the table is a different um, raccoon. And you have these like really fun cards. We've played it with our kids. We've played it with friends. And it's just, it's so fun. So you have to roll dice and you get so many turns to roll dice and you have different... Um, Basically, like, tokens that represent different actions that you can take. And you can either, you know, you're, you're trying to stash as many uh, food items or shinies, which shinies are like forks or spoons. Oh, um, So you get so many things that you have to stash. So you have, and they have, like, you know, funny names, like the one for pizza is Pa. There's one for, um, what's the one there's, instead of bananas, it's nanners. Um, and so, and then there are different cards that you can use to block, like, because you could steal, like, I could steal cards from Bill or I could steal cards from Rob, unless they have a doggo or a kitty card, and which card they can block me. So it's really fun. It gets people talking, gets people interacting, and it's just, it's a rad game. I had a lot of fun playing it. That's awesome. Kat, how about you? Mine's obviously books, uh, unshockingly. <laughs> so uh, I finished, I forgot what the series by Alana Andrews was called, but it's, um, it was only a trilogy that came out. It was Paranormal Romance, and the third book was fantastic it was the finale and then i also Do you remember what the name of the book it might least have been, was i think it was white hot i'm not sure though my brain is blanking <laughs> it's alona andrews they have like i think pretty set series it's, it's uh alona with an i <laughs> yep got it it's actually a their, name. they do fantastic books it's actually a husband and wife team and their books are phenomenal but um the other series I rabbit hold down was uh, the original Sinner series, which is BDSM Romance. Ooh. And that was wonderful. Um, book two was my favorite. And that, so that gets a mention. Uh, it was The Angel by Tiffany Rice. And um, then I also, beginning of the year, went down a rabbit hole with uh, The Raven Cycle. I read the first book a couple years ago and just never bought the other ones in the series. And then the oh, they're finding the uh, the stuff for me. I read all these here. Hold on. Live research. Oh my gosh, so much research, guys. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Rob, stop. <laughs> okay, so we can do things. We're trying right. it. Yeah. There's more at the top. To find the okay. I'll find the ones at the top. We're looking. Oh, it's the Hidden Legacy series. There we go. The third Ooh. book in the Hidden Legacy series. I'm pretty sure it's still called White Hot, but <laughs> but um, yeah, the uh. Other series that I fell into at the beginning of the year was The Raven Cycle, the third and fourth book. That's a YA uh, urban fantasy series, and it's by Maggie Stiavater, and it is so stunning, and it's one of those ones where you are you just get super jealous of... Or I get super jealous of her writing, because it's beautiful, <laughs> and it's just amazing. I actually read that series, and then reread it immediately after. It was so good. Which series is this? Um, it's uh, The Raven Cycle. It's phenomenal and then um it's like all ley lines and mystical stuff in um like virginia set in like the more of the wilderness area really beautifully written though and then uh, i guess the final one i read i finished recently which was red rising by pierce brown and that's uh ya uh science fiction and it's set in mars and that one really hits it's like if he mixed Hunger Games with, like, 
some of the sci-fi of old, which like hits on a, like a lot of the heavy philosophy and like big concepts. Um, and again, the writing was beautiful. It was really, really well done. Awesome. Um, for me, I'm actually going to join Jada and jump in on board games. So for me, this was, I think, one of my favorite years playing board games. I'm going to start with a lighter game that's really easy for a lot of people to easily jump into with their families. And that was Disney's Villainous. Oh, so good. Love it. It's a, it's a game that actually plays with a lot of fun concepts, which is a little bit of your own kind of set collection, but you each all have your own rule sets you have to deal with. And everybody's playing of one of six major classic Disney villains. Um, but like I said, everyone, every character plays dramatically different from the next, which is, adds a little bit of uh, kind of a mix-up to it, and it adds a lot of replayability, which I think is great. Because if you're playing somebody that's playing Captain Hook and Maleficent and, say, Ursula, um, your game is going to play very different versus somebody that's playing maybe like Ursula, Prince John, and, uh, you know, and Maleficent, because one other player is in the mix. Um, because you're trying to constantly keep on top of what everybody else is doing while also trying to achieve your own goals. But I think so far it's one of those games this year we've played almost more than any other game that has come out in 2018. Um, the second game for me is a game I really didn't know what to expect from, but it was ended up being one of my favorite nights of board gaming ever, which was Choose Your Own Adventure, The House of Dangerous. <laughs> Uh, it is it, it is the classic choose your own adventure game, uh, the House of Danger. It's actually that book specifically where they converted it into a, a very simplistic board game. It doesn't have a lot of heavy mechanics. Um, there is sometimes just a quick normal D6 roll, and that's all it is. But it's a lot of fun when you play with a large group of people, and it's a game that you can play as a solo game or with as many people as you want and just take a general consensus of what should we do. The chimpanzees. It, something about chimpanzees <laughs> playing, playing violins while doberins <laughs> rip you apart. Spoilers! I, I mean, when I have to... It, we don't say spoilers for a lot of things because we usually talk about things about two to three weeks after they've been released. But this game, spoilers. <laughs> but you know what, though? Not still, necessarily because it really depends on the, the if choice. You may never true. see that in your game, though. And that's the that's thing true. is we talked to a couple of people that played it at our Extra Life and played through the entire game. Never once did they run across that mess. <laughs> um, but it was great, though, because it felt like this is a game that even though we played it once, it felt like the, even this, whatever the cost of the game initially is, which I think is a fairly it's low pri price point. It's, I think it's an under $20, it's, uh, $30 yeah, it's price under $20. point. Uh, it's we an under $20. We bought it at Target when we were on vacation. It's something right. we do one night. And it's and it's honestly, we got a good three and a half hours of entertainment out of it that night, and it we can so easily good. go back and play more because we got the worst ending you could get, so we can only go <laughs> up from there. So again, I would say uh, my second game definitely choose your own adventure, the House of Danger. Uh, my third game is a game that actually I think came out very late in 2017. We just played it for the first time last night, which is a game called Ethnos. That's E-T-H-N-O-S. Uh, it's a game that I really didn't have a lot of high expectations for. I just kept hearing it was a really fun game, but it takes a little bit of a mix of two of my favorite board games I've ever played. And that is uh, Fireball, or sorry, not Fireball Island. I'm going to get the board one second. It's got to be on that list. Way off. Yeah. Uh, Small World and Blood Rage. And it finds a really happy medium between the two. Uh, for a lot of people, Small World was a really great entry point for the modern age of board gaming. But... It's still a long game. It's still not a quick just turn around, be able to play fast. 
Um, and I think that's kind of a the downside of, with a game like something like that. And Blood Rage is kind of um, a mid-tier kind of game in the modern age of Euro gaming as well. But again, it's a lot harder to get into if you're afraid of a lot of mechanics, even though it's yeah. relatively simple to play. So it takes the concepts of both of those games and dials it down to about a 30-minute game that has a lot of replayability, and it seems like it can change dramatic amounts every time you play it where you're never going to ever quite be playing the same game twice. Uh, there's 12 races that you play six random races in the game at random, so you have a lot of combinations. So the one game we play today is not going to be anywhere like the next game we play. Um, but again, you can cater up to six players, which is rare. Usually a lot of board games of this magnitude is usually four players max. So it's nice to see a game that has a couple more fun mechanics that are not common in board gaming be able to allow at least six players into the mix, which is awesome. So number three, Ethnos. Uh, number four is the game I just mentioned accidentally, <laughs> which is the Restoration Games Return of Fireball Island. Um, had an amazing Kickstarter that happened last year that blew everybody out of the water. Nobody quite expected it to do quite as well, and it's an updated classic 1980s game instead of it being a classic roll-and-move game. Uh, it adds a ton of crazy things like dexterity, uh, hand management, uh, and honestly, a lot of risk and reward. Um, but it's a game I didn't, I don't think anybody anticipated it for being as fun as it was. Uh, I've played about three or four cycles with all the expansions in the mix, and our cat is slowly going insane uh, in the background. So if you hear him in the background, just please ignore. Uh, but anyway, again, the update to Fireball Island really blew us away. Um, I think the game group that I commonly play with, I think Ben and Bill both have played it. Flying Tigers! Um, oh yeah, flying Tigers and Hidden Bees. Is, uh, the, is bees. the Bees! The Bees! Um, but again, it's a game that goes wildly, and it's, it, it's if you're a person that does not like getting targeted by people, it's, I would recommend this is not the game for you because there's a little bit of that, but there's also a lot of chance in this game. Uh, and you could be having one of your best games ever and end up still at the end of it with negative seven points. Um, so you don't know. We've, we've had point, we've had uh, victory point spreads from negative three, I think. To so like 62. To 62. Yeah. So again, it goes wildly, but it's a game that does feel incredibly balanced, really blown away with it, Fireball Island from Restoration Games. Yeah, and as long as you, like you said, as long as you don't mind being targeted, the game is always But again, fun. it was Every a time. game that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Did you want to jump in, Bill, on that? No, I'm going to say if you don't say this one game, oh, and, and my number five, but it's probably my top <laughs> game of 2018, Gloomhaven. Thank you. Yeah, you knew it was coming. Um, I hope so. <laughs> The best way I've heard of this, this game described is this is D&D in a box. And you know what? It's not just D&D in a box. It's the it's the video game Baldur's Gate and Diablo yep. in a box as well. And it adds that classic dungeon crawling mechanics of board games in the past, like things like Descent, but also adding a choose-your-own-adventure element that we mentioned in House of Danger before earlier. Uh, but it, it combines some of the best of the best ideas together where you have a long campaign. And even though the price point of the game is fairly high... I will say this, you are getting a lot of game for your money. That price point, while it has been, in, it's been, it's close to, what, $140 retail yep. for MSRP. Uh, I will say this, this trumps what most, what even two video games that you buy at $60 will get you. Uh, and that's not even a question. Um, I think you will, this is a game that I think has, I think, I believe 50 to 60 campaign missions. It uh, has, I think, 90 actual full missions in the campaign book alone with a new expansion well on the way. 
Um, and each each attempt at one scenario in this game will take you two to three hours each. So, and that's with a group of anywhere from three to four players with things to unlock. It has a legacy game mechanics, so you're changing what the town is, what your characters are. So you're allowing this game to evolve with you and your party, just like a traditional D&D game. It is easily the best board game I've ever played. Gloomhaven is my number uh, number five. So, And I've yet to play it. Uh, here. <laughs> it's in my house. <laughs> it also weighs 25 pounds. It also weighs 25 pounds. It can kill most small animals and children if it was ever thrown at them. It's insane. It's massive. Um, all right. So now that we got our top fives out of the way, why don't we go around and what was the what was the biggest disappointment for you in pop culture or entertainment this year? I don't know if I have one. I, I mean, I the only thing I can think of is one that I kind of knew was going to be a disappointment going into it, and that's Venom. That's fair. Venom. <laughs> I yeah. Have no hopes for that. I oh, I have one, but it was the complete opposite of what Ben's was um, for his favorite. So I didn't really dig um, the Avengers movie, Infinity War. Yeah. I know some people didn't, and that's fine. If to you be didn't. fair, it came out when we were in Paris, and we got the entire thing spoiled. Yeah. So that, we that knew can... everyone who was going to die, and so we were like, oh, but do you? oh look. Because well, they're coming we... for that movie. Yes. For that movie. So when you know that going into yeah. it, and I'm it kinda the ruins one it. that spoilers will kind of tank it for me, unless there's a lot of like emotional bolstering, and there wasn't a lot of emotional bolstering if you take away the shock value. Yeah. Now, see, if you this know? was 2017, I could have gone, I could have gone, rode that in, because one of my biggest disappointments of last year was Rogue One. Which I've made multiple accounts for. Yeah. And it's, for the, and it's not for the <laughs> same fair. reason that it wasn't that's spoiled, but it's yeah. the emotional just didn't hit me. And that's, that's totally well, fair. You brought up Venom. Uh, I'm not going to... I Well, I'm close to Cat on that one <laughs> in Infinity War. Uh, there was actually a larger one for me that really disappointed me, which was Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, Red Dead Redemption was one of my favorite video games of the last console generation. Uh, and I was really looking forward to the sequel. Uh, and the best way I can put it, and I've told most people, is if Red Dead Redemption 1, uh, a.k.a. the Red Red Dead 2, uh, <laughs> because it's a weird way that yeah. breaks down. Red Dead Revolver, Red Dead Redemption, yeah. and Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, Although so, I think everything takes place before Red Dead Revolver. Uh, probably. That's why they're Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. But anyway, Red Dead Redemption 2, um, the, my biggest problem with it is, uh, was a game that I played probably 20 to 30 hours of, and I every time I walked away from that game, I always had to ask myself, did I have fun? And every time I said, no, I did not. Um, it is because of one key reason. Uh, Red Dead Redemption was, hey, here's a Wild West action-adventure video game. Red Dead Redemption 2, here is a Wild West simulator. simulation or simulator Good luck. Have fun. And you got to shave. You got to pomade your hair. You got to get a shower. Bath. Yeah. It's Red Dead: The Adultening. And that's and the it's problem. Like, who wants to play that in a video? I'm still playing it, but I can see what you're what you're talking. And about. it's it, it's a game that does not look at somebody that has limited time to game and does not treat their time that they have well. Yeah. Um, if you're a teenager or you're a college student that doesn't have a lot else on their plate and maybe it doesn't have a job, sure, this may be your favorite game you've played all year long, but for adults that have very little time to have to still even play games, then we don't have children. I don't have a lot of time to sit down and invest hundreds of hours into a video game anymore. 
this game did not respect my time whatsoever, and it didn't respect me as a player to enjoy myself. Uh, it didn't. It's no, for somebody fair, that when you want to use video game is uh, video games is escapism. Yeah, no, it's for enjoyment fair. and entertainment is enjoyment, and not everything you have to enjoy. Like sometimes it can make you sad and make you feel all the things. Sure. Uh, you can still say I really enjoyed That's it because it, it, it made now. me feel this way. This was. I, I feel pissed off because I played more time of this. And that's, that's the true. way it made me feel. It made me feel angry. <laughs> so. <laughs> Don't play games that make you feel angry. Yeah. I stopped playing it. <sighs> Don't play games that make you feel angry. Why do I play Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy? <laughs> that's your decision, sir. That's also my least favorite and more <laughs> aggravating thing of this year, even though it was also in my top five. Uh, hey, you know, I, I watched a video of it, and that was one of my least favorite games I've ever seen, and I didn't even play it. <laughs> so. I don't know that I have something that was, like, my least favorite of... Podcasting with me when we talk about the Me Too movement. Oh! Ben, I still love you. We had a respectful discussion, we just had a slight disagreement, and that's okay. Misunderstanding, not agree- not disagreement. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Jay, did you have anyone, or... Yeah. Um, can I say I'm disappointed with Star Wars fans? <laughs> you yeah. totally can. What was your least favorite? Yeah, we can say we, we're going to double down on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, you know, before we get to some of the last big things here, um, we'll actually skip one because we're running a little over on time. But uh, is there any trends from 2018 that people would like to see end in 2019? Oh, end? Um, sorry. Eating Tide Pods. Yes. <laughs> yes, that should end. Flossing. Hey, hey, hey. We're talking about the funny. dance. The dance. Not, it's kind of funny. The dance, not the dental care. Yes. Yes. Because, <laughs> you know, honestly, if I could have a conversation with my 10 and my 8-year-old without them standing there like, like, like doing that thing, and I'm like, can you stop for like four and a half seconds, please? Flossing. If you've lost your teeth as much as you do this flossing dance, I would be super happy. I don't want it to go away because I still haven't figured out how to do it. Yet. I will show you. <laughs> I, as much as you would show me, I still probably wouldn't be able to do it myself. I don't know how I am that uncoordinated. Once you start, you actually cannot stop. <laughs> That's the problematic part of it. I think the one thing I want to see go away is yeet. Let's yeet it right out the window. I've never what even does heard yeet that? Well, basically, yeah. like, I, I, I think it's just like throwing shit away. Like, oh. You know, you... Oh, See, to me, it sounds, like, it. it sounds like a really old thing, like a like Jeff Foxworthy <laughs> Jeet. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Actually, it sounds to me like a body hair remover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the off-brand. I have not yes. heard that. But yes, if you want to get rid yeet. of a word, I'll get, I'll get rid of yeet. Yeah. <laughs> Sir? Um, or like a feminine uh, hygiene product. I, I don't know. Um, well, no, well, I did say flossing, but I... Uh, <laughs> Um, I don't like, I really wish, it's not going to happen, but I really wish we could move away from this whole trend of making stupid people famous with reality shows. Yes, please. Oh, absolutely. Like, like the Kardashians are useless, and yet there's yeah. 15 spinoffs of the I shows. Know. Like, reality shows, there are certain ones I still watch, like Survivor and America's Got Talent, but, I mean, now there's whole channels dedicated to just stupid, mindless television and it's making people who unfortunately, just... as long as people watch shows like America's yeah. Got Talent and The Voice and all those things, guess what? Well, I mean, because when you have a winner, a lot of times those winners get labels but, or TV shows. Because but there, of there's it. one thing: there's a difference between having a talent show like The Voice or things like that sure. that spotlights on a talent, 
to having Keeping Up with the Kardashians or yeah, the Real Housewives no. of Beverly Hills, where I these people those. deserve no attention that yes. they're getting. They they don't they, do they, anything. They're not doing them. anything uh-huh. but getting paid to be on television. Yeah, and it. just it's pointless and it's they're useless. paid to be rich assholes. Yes, basically. you're oh, making them richer. And it just goes on to what I've been saying for years. Stop making stupid people famous. Agreed. Absolutely. Again. It's not going to happen in 2019. It's not going to stop. It's only going to get worse. As long as reality TV exists, that's not going to go away. I'm with you, though. (laughs) I feel you. Jada, any trends you want to see go away? Um, Come back to me on this one. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I would like... For the as much as I enjoy the superhero stuff, I would like for it to wane a little bit and start seeing some new trends pick up in movies where we start seeing fresh stuff in the theaters of just a different, just a different. Not just superheroes, but else. reboots and remakes. Oh my god, yeah, that can die in a fire. I'm done with those two. Yeah, um, actually, I'm gonna mirror actually two of you because <laughs> I. So I basically I'm gonna take a half of each. Oh, okay. uh, flossing because you know what battle royale <laughs> games need to go away. I'm so sick and tired of hearing them. Things like Fortnite, PUBG, uh, Call hey, of Duty. Hey, hey. <laughs> Fortnite needs to go to away, go away. Call of Duty needs to go away. PUBG can stay. <laughs> no, they can all go PUBG away. PUBG was the fucking original. I don't care. They can all go away. PUBG wasn't before Call of Duty. Not every video game needs a battle royale, battle royale mode. mode. Oh yes, okay. Yeah, not all video games need a battle royale mode. Agreed. Secondly, I actually fully agree with Kat. I am somebody that we do a podcast each and every week about superheroes. If I have to see every three months another superhero movie come out in another for the next year or two, I am going to lose my mind and never want to enjoy superheroes the way that I no longer enjoy zombies. Well, it's one of the reasons why we also focus on the television side of things and not film. I know, but I can tell you this now. The Walking Dead, the TV show, made me hate zombies. Yeah. Like, I am... Because we're in a world that we were dealing with superheroes every six seconds... I'm getting to the point where even the TV shows that I love and the characters that I love, it's hard to enjoy them the way I used to because I'm entrenched in it at all points in time all the time. I it's want, oversaturation. It is, yeah. The oversaturation mark has well passed us mm-hmm. and where it's still not slowing down and it's making me lose good. my mind. I need <laughs> last, new ideas. Last week's DC Primetime was a prime example of that. Yes, it was. <laughs> he went on a 25-minute long rant about one episode. I did. It, was, it might have been. <laughs> and, it was, and it was very warranted because writers Rhyme, be lazy. Rhymes with schmarrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rhymes with Schmidt. <laughs> Jada, it's just down to you. Unless. Oh, sad face. <laughs> things you um, want to see to end. Stupid Star Wars fans. Go yes. tripling down on it. I'm going to triple down on that. Let's, let's stop with the misogynistic, gatekeeper, racist assholes thing. in my fandom. Like at the GTFO. Like, I'm done. Yeah, yeah like, can we, just, can we just exit that shit out of geek culture? Because honestly, especially as a female gamer and somebody who's been in this culture for damn near 25-ish years, because I'm old, uh, <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's. Let's breed more acceptance. Let's breed more, like, honor into who we think we are and who we want to be. Like, let's be the fandoms that we want to be. Like, mm-hmm. please. And, and honestly, like, if it's something that you used to enjoy and you don't anymore because now it's new and it's different, maybe 
experience the new and the different and understand that things need to grow and change in order to continue to be good. Hence why you're getting upset with too many superheroes and too much of the same, of same writing styles and regurgitating the same stuff over and over again. Things need change. Mm -hmm. And that is my favorite of the unseelie tenants, which is change is good. Um, (laughs) Things need change in order to stay new, in order to stay relevant. And we can't just keep having the same story with the same characters over and over and over again. Sorry, I didn't mean to tap on the thing. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I I think stagnation is what I'd like to see go away. (laughs) And bad Star Wars fans. (laughs) Quadrupling down. Quadrupling down. All right, and the last question for everybody before we get into our closer, uh, what are we all most excited about for 2019? Kat? Is this geek-related or personal? Whatever you want it to be. Okay. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I just had a clarification question. Okay, well, I'll start this off. Um, I cannot wait to see that very first trailer of Star Wars Episode Nine. then go see it in December of 2019 Yay! and watch the Skywalker saga come to its end. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I I have two on my list. You get um, one. Oh, oh, man. We're well over. You get one. Oh. All right. Well, with production of my convention officially starting in January Yay. now, I'm excited to see what's going to come of uh, development of my convention in 2019. Yay. Which is right. called Phenomicon. Phenomicon. Do, 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 do. Phenomicon. I'm diving right into that. I'm steering into that. I love it. Um, Movie Pass. I mean, no. (laughs) I ain't (laughs) nothing. That could have been my disappointment for 2018. Exactly, right? It's Movie Pass. No, I'm excited for um, uh, Overwatch League uh, Season 2. Or the next year. Or whatever you want to call it now that there's actual professional sports in gaming. Yeah. Cool. Gator or Cat? Um... Oh no! It's okay, he does this all the time. We have a cat that's causing problems. (laughs) Um, Problematic cat. (laughs) I'll jump in. Uh, I am excited to finish my Shifter series. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Your cat's tail is sticking to the fly. Yeah, our cat's currently just (laughs) trying to escape. Pay no attention to the kitty behind the curtain. So, I mean, the uh, the book, the first book in the series re-released in November, and the second book is coming out January 1st. The third book is coming out in March now, because just got bumped up. Uh, no, in April. And then the fourth book has a potential release date already in May, but it just needs to be contracted first. <laughs> Me and my editor sat down and hashed everything out. So the fifth book should be coming out by, hopefully, mid to late next year. So it'll definitely be all in 2019. Awesome. Sweet. <laughs> um, so I'm going to also say Star Wars, but isn't Wonder Woman 1984 coming out next year? Uh, I think it is. Yes. Yeah. So obviously, I'm excited Yay. for that. I'm sorry, I know you're kind of done with some superheroes. <laughs> oh no, but I'll never I'm, get enough of Wonder Woman. I'm pumped yeah. for that too. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Adventures Endgame as well. I mean, yeah. like I said, I'm looking to see things culminate and the next pieces in certain parts. Well, it's also for me, it's a little bit more of just like with it being Wonder Woman. It's also Patty Jackson is directing again, yes. and so like I really want to see where Jenkins. they're going. Jenkins. Yeah. What Jenkins. did I say, Jackson? Jackson. I'm sorry, it's late. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited to see Patty Jenkins directing another Wonder Woman movie because, again, it's 
I want to see a, a female superhero that's done for representation for women and understanding that that's what really matters. And it's mm-hmm. not just like, you know, here's a close up of her boobs as she runs in slow motion for all the men <laughs> in the audience. Like yeah. it's, it's designed for women, not necessarily for the male gaze. So that is something to me that I am super excited about because I'm a huge Wonder Woman fan. Awesome. awesome. All right. Well, let's close out this episode the way that we close out each and every (laughs) episode, which is going to be our MFK, which is going to be focused on Mel Brooks. So uh, our people that we're looking at in this one is actually Mel Brooks himself because he's an actor in almost every one of his films. Gene Wilder and, of course, the wonderful Madeline Kahn, uh, who is ready to kick us off. I'll start it, even though it's probably going to get some negative feedback <laughs> on this one. Um, uh, well, I, That's tough. I, I would. There is no good answer. I can no, say that now. there really isn't. Um, <laughs> I, I would kill. Oh God, I'm going to be hated for this. It's okay. I would kill Gene Wilder. Um, Monster. Let's just end the podcast. I know. Right? <laughs> um, I, I would. No, I would marry Madeline Kahn just because. Well, she, I mean, I would sleep with Madeline Kahn because she's the only female on the list. Um, but just because I feel like she'd probably be hot stuff in bed. Expand I mean, your horizons, man. Flames. <laughs> flames. Um, but my, my biggest thing about this is I would marry Mel Brooks simply because I want to join him and Carl Reiner for ice cream every Sunday. Yeah. They still do that. They still do that every Sunday. Oh, that's adorable. Yep. That's, I mean, that is purely the biggest one is Gene Wilder, Madeline Kahn could really go either way. I want to marry Mel Brooks just so I can join them for ice cream every Sunday. Honestly, I I would say exactly the same thing. Um, I would want to marry Mel Brooks because, I mean, oh my God, that man's adorable and he's genius. So, I mean, I would probably want to marry him. I would probably also fuck Madeline Kahn because Madeline Kahn. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Yeah, right? Yep. Um, And then... Sorry, Jean. You're already dead, so I hope this covers your feelings. So is Madeline Kahn. I know, but I mean... Can I just say on a side note real quick, too, not to hold this back, but there's very few celebrities that break me when they die. I hope it's not for a while, but Mel Brooks will be one of them. I know. I don't want to... I know we're not supposed to. I'm knocking on wood. Don't call the unsealy fan into this. I know, right? What are you thinking? Sorry. We want the man to live. Cat. Um, I am actually going with the same route because I love Gene Wilder as an actor, but he he has the crazy eyes sometimes that squig me out, especially in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He totally does. I get that. Super creepy there. So I don't want to bang him. And I'd rather bang Madeline Kahn. That's fine. Yep. And then marry Mel Brooks. I mean, it's Mel fucking Brooks. Of course you're going to marry Mel Brooks. (laughs) Bill. We're going four for four on this. <laughs> oh, We're probably going five for five, to be honest. But we'll see. Um, we'll see. This I'm, is a first, you guys. I've got I've got to marry Mel Brooks. Yeah, again, just to. just the sweet adorable. sweet man. Yeah. And, and ice cream. It's it's really it's it's a tough toss up, but I will lean towards my more uh, hetero uh, proclivities and fuck Madeline Kahn because you know Lily bunched up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Mystery of life, at last I found you. I've been waiting all podcast for that. Thank you. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Gene. I'm sorry, Gene. I'm sorry. We're going five for five. five. Yeah. I knew it just by looking at Rob. We're going five for five. I know it's meant for puns, but I think yeah. this is the first. Season. There you go. I, I don't think we've ever 
had that happen ever no, before, never but I, I adore Gene Wilder. I think yeah. he's he's phenomenal. <laughs> he's got one of the greatest comedic timings of all time. But that's purely because a lot of times when we get to see him perform the way that he does is because it's written based off the direction and the writing of, well, oddly enough, a lot of times Gene Wilder and Mel, Mel Brooks as a comedic duo writing. Um, but Mel Brooks is a type of person that I feel like if you had a bad day, he'd find the most creative, ingenious ways to give yeah. you the best day to turn that around. Um, I, I can just, I can only imagine the stories he would have to tell, too. And I, I think that would be the coolest marriage in the universe, mm-hmm. uh, especially with with somebody like him. Not Your actual. No, but giving you she's, like, <laughs> I hate you. she's like, I'd take Mel Brooks over me <laughs> too. Um, but no, I think Mel Brooks. That would be just that. That would just be an awesome, awesome partner to have. Yeah. Present company excluded. <laughs> so, um, but I will say, you know, again, Madeline Kahn, she's just, just a spitfire, and right? I, I, and I can't imagine what that had had to have been like to sleep with her and have her as a partner. Like you're kind, of, you're very intrigued, but also a little afraid. Uh-huh. And I think that's what makes it fun and enjoyable. So, um, but I, yeah. Again, as I also look at my wife, intrigued and a little afraid. So no, 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 yes, no, 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 yes, yes. But no, again, I, I think that's. I, I I don't think there's an answer outside of that, and I don't think no. there, there could be. So, uh, but yeah, um, yeah. Unfortunately, Gene, sorry. Mel Brooks, Mary, fuck Madeline Kahn. So. And ice cream. And ice cream. Ice cream with Uncle Carl. Yes. So Aww. so cute. All right. So um, that was, uh, normally we go around the room, but we did a lot of talking about we ourselves did. this yeah, episode. We so we're, uh, we're just going to close out here. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in for episode 50, our Mel Brooks year-end review spectacular. Um, and like I said, uh, next month, uh, we'll be back in January. So we'll, uh, do a little thinking as far as what's to come next. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And until then, we'll see you guys for episode 51, the end of January. Yeah, 2019. 2019, baby. Woo-hoo! It can only go up from here. <laughs> At least we hope. Uh, oh, God, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. All right. Take care. Bye, Bye everybody.